We live in a cynical world. A cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. I love you. You? Complete me. And I've just had... Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. still got my inflamed eyelid when it's getting better it is um, yeah i hadn't even noticed or at least now that yeah. you said it i won't be able to look away but, <laughs> but i've but drawn done. a little face on it on the bump so that it can look at you and you can talk to that i've also <laughs> on the other eyelid got love and it was you and the other one but it's inflamed now that it's bulbous oh that makes me very face. happy and uh... yeah, big smiley face Right now, at half past eight in the evening, it's 33, according to this computer, uh, Celsius. Jesus. Um, it's like, it's pure midsummer because it is still light at 10 o'clock in the evening and it gets light at three o'clock in the morning. So it's really hardcore now. So I'm not sleeping particularly well. Well, I am, but I'm, understandably, I'm waking up and I'm going to sleep in weird hours of so I've oh, gone a bit man. weird. But also I'm breaking up. It's pure old school. I'm literally breaking up for the summer. I'm just on the other side of this, you know, pupil teacher thing. But I'm still, I'm getting that feeling this week. And then into July, uh, I'll have a vastly reduced weekly schedule. And so it does feel like I'm breaking up for the summer holidays. And it's really summer, sunny outside. And we watched Jurassic Park on Saturday and The Lost World on Sunday. Uh, and it was nice seeing The Lost World, Jurassic Park 2, again, because uh, I hadn't seen it for at least 20 years. I'm a real you want to be, Jimmy. Uh, and so I was like, I watched it. It's not very good, but the bits people always remember from that film being good, like the cracking glass sequence and the raptors in the tall grass sequence. Absolutely. Five-star gold sequences. Absolute brilliance. But there's loads of shit. The pacing is way off. Um, they could have had it that they stole the dinosaur and so there's a ticking clock and it's already being transported to San Diego. So at the end of act two, when you have that sort of climax, then they can just get on a plane and it doesn't suddenly cut and they're in San Diego. And that would probably have been a device they should have used to make it a smoother transition. But seeing T-Rex in San Diego and eating that dog was great. And all of that was fun with Arnie in King Lear in this alternative universe. Uh, he's in the video shop, big poster. Digani and it's King Lear, Schwarzenegger. It's amazing. It's so weird and random, especially for a Spielberg to do something like that. There's also a fake uh, Robin Williams film, but I always look at the Arnie, but I don't know what Robin Williams one is. Um, so that's nice. It is really brutal and it's very brutal, but it's very uneven. Um, but it's nice seeing young Vaughn. He's sort of like in between Trent Vaughn and just you know, for the rest of time Vaughn. Uh, just slightly larger <laughs> uh, so yeah no you know so that's I said my, my point about Jurassic Park is it feels like summer 1993 it's really hot I'm breaking up 
and it's like it's it's summertime i'm wearing shorts even though i don't like shorts i'm going outside with the dog at seven o'clock in the morning in shorts and a t-shirt and sandals like tony fucking soprano i'm loving it so that's that's really enjoyable the downside is that's like seven o'clock in the morning by you know one it's ludicrous it's uh yeah it's gone hard for like 40 degrees plus it's craziness I mean, I have honestly about 20 threads to pick up from that Sheppy, from whether Pete Postle's weight holds up in Lost World through there, whether he's oh, he ever... dressing gown when it gets to winter time over the top to be yeah. the full Tony Soprano in the future. I, I don't even know where to start with all the questions. I can't even wear my kimono at the moment because it's, <laughs> it's too hot, even. I, it's, I'm wearing, I'm not wearing it right now because I'm being tasteful to you, Jimmy, because there's only got one button left, but this very colourful... Oh, I tell you what, uh, listener, this is the shirt I'm wearing on the my, you know, on the on the Us page on the website of this here podcast. Oh. Um, I'm wearing this, which I'm waving around for Jimmy to see, which I'm not wearing at the moment because there's only got one button and it will be too revealing. So I'm wearing a T-shirt. That's really this nice. This is the first happy. T-shirt I've worn all day. Crazy. Very happy to hear that. <laughs> Good continuity it. with the website as well. <laughs> there you go. You see, I know what I'm talking about. I've read my dossier. Um, <laughs> we recorded the Predator podcast, and I hadn't actually watched Predator for the last couple of years, but I, you know, it was fine. I, I'm very familiar with Predator. But we did watch it as well as the Jurassic Park double bill over the weekend. At some point recently, we saw Predator. And I have oh. to say, yeah, it, yeah, obviously, it's so good. Watching it as we did, we did all of the Predator films, starting with Predator 2, and we did Predator Last, just because that's what we were sort of, it's, that's how it all worked out. And watching it that way, when Predator does turn up, it's obviously, you know, it's in the second half of the film. So he, he does it from dusk till dawn, and he just gate crashes Arnie's action film. And then he fucks everyone up, and then you're like, yay, Predator. But he's still introduced really slowly. So it's weird. It's like when I saw the Joker at the cinema and then it, I was deeply into the Joker of it all. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it be interesting now to rewatch The Dark Knight from the heat of it all? And also, <laughs> I think on some level, I did want to wash whacking out of my mind just a little bit. I think that played a part. I'm not the biggest fan of the Joker, but it was a great performance. But so, yeah. Uh, we watched The Dark Knight and of course the first 10 minutes is the bank heist so pure Joker and then it becomes a Batman film obviously and it was like oh yeah Batman's in it and it was that sort of feeling with Predator but in reverse where it was like wow it's taking a while for our hero to get here but so so it was nice watching it from that reverse perspective and of course it's a great film and I'm going to say about Arnie's performance he's leaner uh, in Predator than he is as, say, John Matrix. Only two years previously, John Matrix from Commando has a big, like, Lego man head. <laughs> and it's, like, really massive and weirdly shaped and almost square. Uh, it's rectangular, certainly. Nonetheless, in Predator, it's more lean and it's more streamlined. He's still obviously huge. Dylan! <laughs> but it's wicked. And, he's, and his performance... When Arnie really goes for it, he does do it. And his performance, he's not just like, yeah, let's go get him. He's cautious. Before he knows the Predator's there, he's like, you know, calculating and he's being strategic and he's being a good leader and he's got a good thing with his men and, and it's excellent. And you see him working stuff out and he's the sort of person to know that it's good to be afraid. He never says that, but, you know, he's that sort of guy he knows. He's not just like, yeah, let's get him. 
And when the Predator does start showing himself as a world killing his men, including Shane Black, uh, he, he is showing trepidation on his face. And it's subtle and it's there and it's good. And I wanted to shout out to Arnie in Predator as Dutch because it's a really good performance and not typically Arnie. I like how he's the kind of character that would look after his team and yet... <laughs> You know, he doesn't like, do a very good job. It's <laughs> ironic. It's ironic. Yeah, you know, he, every damn one. Um, so that's nuts. Sheppy, I want to just quickly share my screen on Zoom with you, young man. This is going to work. Let's see if we can do this. So this, Sheps, is a cheeky little heat map based Ooh, on. Uh, I predator. Yes, like our uh, our our Wix um, other website uh, builders are available, but they they give us a little heat map of our site traffic over the last month. I just and this is so this is just site traffic. This isn't even just listenership. So I just wanted to kind of uh, give you a little view as to where our people might be coming from that listen to this podcast just quickly. So wow. apparently, my people, had... we've already <laughs> turned into a cult. We I knew it. I mean, it was inevitable. <laughs> Break out those list symbols. The, you, know, you just have to attend in a pair so that someone can go on your shoulders or vice versa to our meetings. That's that's part that's of nice. the. Uh, what if you've both got combined. bad backs? I don't want to. I don't want anyone to do anything they don't want to do. <laughs> All shoulders can be left alone if they want to be. Yes. 59 unique visitors in the USA, Sheppy. I don't know anybody in the USA that might be listening, but it's very exciting and lovely. So hello, well, hello America. Hello to everyone in America. Hi there. <laughs> yeah. We've got 22 page visits from Canada. Unique visitors, which is lovely. Um, 57 from a little island called the United Kingdom. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. Hello. One from Sweden. If you're from Sweden, please get in touch. That'd be lovely. One from Norway. Come on, Shep's amazing. And it, it, please let us know. Please do drop us a line on the website. We'd love to hear from people. Two in France. Two in France. 123, Sheppy. That's wonderful. That is you pushing out to your network. I know that's you beating the pavement, marketing the heck out of this bastard. That's wonderful. Well, that's exciting. Well, hello to everyone out there. And if anyone's uh, following because of them on Instagram, uh, I, I'm, if I've liked your pictures, then it means I like them. So there you go. Dig that up. But that means if I haven't liked your pictures, try harder. So that's good stuff. <laughs> what in Kazakhstan, Sheppy, I'm just seeing, which is wonderful. Hello. That's wicked. Hello. 85 in Oz. So I've got to pull my socks up. Um, yeah, but it's usually very hot in Oz. So you don't have to pull your socks up unless that's a scorpion saving device. <laughs> Hello to you all there. That's lovely. Yeah, two in New Zealand, one in China, three in Japan. Oh, hello. hello truly hello. international, Sheppy. That's the thing to take away from this. One in Colombia. Wow. That's because I've been watching Narcos. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, look, how about that, Sheps? Let's just say we encourage you to go to shoulderspod.com. Check us out. Check us out. Don't check us out. Check out the shirt that Sheppy's wearing in the uh, About <laughs> Us page or Meet Me Us page. And, uh, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then drop us a line on the web form. We'd love yeah, to let us know where you are, how you're doing. Mm. Or don't. Up to you. Um, 
That's lovely, Jimmy. Thank you for sharing. That's that's gorgeous, wow. gorgeous old son. Now yes. we haven't done an introduction, have we? No, I mean God, if anyone's this far. But welcome to Shoulders of Giants. I'm Jimmy. I'm Sheppy. And uh, we are the What If podcast for movie prequels, sequels, spin-offs, and telly, any medium you want, any front or back that you want to a movie or that's a weird thing to say i don't know why stop me Sheffy. just interrupt me i need to be no no i got lost in your words it was beautiful (laughs) it was a vapid torrent uh of water clean sparkling water (laughs) (laughs) and all the celebration Sheffy. generally speaking we're very uh happy fellows who love let's get a grip um yes <laughs> we're very nice uh, i like us both very much now so yeah we're talking about today i believe a certain sequel to a film which you selected for us jimmy uh so what sequel are we doing tonight jimmy well sheppy the world's gone a bit tom cruise crazy again with top gun maverick and so i thought i'd revisit one of his more beloved movies and see if we could uh, sequelize something that probably doesn't really need a sequel. Um, but we're, we're going for Jerry McConaughey. Does life need a, a sequel, Jimmy? Does life <laughs> need a sequel? That's what this film is. I walked right over your introduction, so you have to re-say it. I walked right over it. Oh, no, but, it's uh, fine. I'm, I think that's happy. That's okay. I had nothing more to say. Jerry McGuire too. Here we go, if that's what you're calling it. But... Um, but um, so I'd love to get your reflections, Sheppy, on the original movie for Shizzle. And maybe even, did you do a trailer line for this one as well? Have you got um, a I wrote a shit ton of dialogue, as it turns out. So I, I did select something, but I don't remember if I cut and pasted it. So that'll be fun <laughs> finding out. But if not, I might improvise something. Um, but I've basically got it. Yeah. And did you do a rewatch for this as well, by any chance? Or... I won't lie to you, Jimmy, I didn't. And I say oh, that as the man who... When your wife said to you, you want me to watch an episode of The Incredible Hulk, a show from the 1970s, instead of all the millions of things we have today to watch, which we're just bursting to watch, we don't have enough hours in a day to watch all the amazing up-to-date stuff right now. And you said, no, I'm asking you to watch Seven. So (laughs) with all of that in mind, I didn't watch Jerry Maguire again. Um, And I'll tell you this, Jimmy, I watched Jerry Maguire last about two or three years ago with Marta. And that was the first time I'd seen it for about 20 years, but of you one of me. And then I saw it a few times in the in the 90s, but maybe twice in the late 90s. And I'd sort of, but it never really sunk in in those earlier watches. Now, I've seemed to remember that you always really liked this film. This the, Your selection today doesn't, you know, isn't out of left field, because I remember you always had a bit of a, a thing for the JM. I did, man. I have to say, I sort of I, I watched it with my friend Danny at the movies in '96, and it, it was one of those going into it. I'd seen the trailer. I remember the Empire magazine came out with a video on the front of it, like all wrapped in cellophane, with trailers for the year, you know, in January yes, or whatever. Um, and then watch those trailers. Of course, there were heaps of little treats and teasers as part of that. And Jerry Maguire. This is '96. Yeah, and Jerry Maguire was one of the trailers on that video, and it was a stunning little trailer that kind of just pulled the thread, had nice little music cues, and gave you a little shiver watching it. And you thought, "This is Tom Cruise's. We haven't seen him for a little while. This is very exciting." 
So I was a big Tom Cruise. I still am a big Tom Cruise fan. Um, probably absolutely, absolutely exclusively about Tom Cruise, the movie star these days, rather than like the full package, if that makes sense. But I, but I think um, at the time I was a massive Cruise fan, and then watched that movie with Danny. We're both at quite a, let's just say, impressionable age where we're sort of going out and about in our best shirts on Fridays and Saturday nights and Thursday nights, probably right. Sheppy, when we should have been studying, and um, and you know used it as aviators something. <laughs> yes and used it as jukeboxes <laughs> yes and anyway i mean in a nutshell i i loved it at the time and um and and you know i guess one of the interesting evolutions because it did do a second well probably a 14th lap of it with with g this last week it's an interesting rewatch because i think under a bit of scrutiny um, and not much scrutiny the central conceit the thing that it's super famous for which is its sort of romance between um tom cruise and Rene Zellweger, kind of falls apart at the first product you know what i mean and really the heart of the movie is the relationship between jerry Maguire and rod tidwell you know and of course cuba good jr won an oscar for it the film was nominated for best actor oscar and best film oscar and all that stuff but um but that's the heart of it. The male friendship at the heart of that movie is the thing now that holds up. And honestly, like I was thinking to myself, because I know I know the beats of the movie, and there's there's the moment where she, you know, that she splits up with him, and and that's right to do because the whole thing is built on bloody, you know, it's a very fragile relationship. Uh, Jerry and uh, and and Dorothy, the two characters in the thing, they get married early in in the movie, and then of course. She splits up with him and then you get your final game and then you get the sort of the very um you know famous scene where he he comes to try and win her back but the margin of time sheppy in that moment is so tiny and for, for him to learn his lessons and sort of realize what he has taken for granted in his relationship it, it doesn't hold up and and even his speech at the end so i'll say one more thing i want to throw to you your your, your thing of the movie but i i just I've got some other notes on the rewatch as well that I want to give you in a minute, but but I will just say like his, uh, you know, it's an incredibly impressive screenplay, right? Like insofar as um, there's lines I love, and they're not even the ones that are just the most famous ones. And and let's let's be fair, it's got some humdingers. This movie isn't it? Like <laughs> things that are just part of the lexicon. You can say show me the money. You could argue you could say help me help me you you could argue you could say you complete me you could argue you could say um you know you have me at hello all those things and anyone would be able to say to you jerry Maguire, yeah you, of course you know it's just so shit that's all in one movie it's pretty impressive isn't it but there's stuff that's that's way better than that that's just through the threads and like just more interesting and and and, and equally excellent i just think i don't know how much the movie knows that um that the relationship isn't quite ready to to work between uh, Jerry and Dorothy at the very end of the movie, you know, and I have always held that up as being fine, but this rewatch, it wasn't, you know, and, and despite knowing that, despite going into the final game and thinking, oh, the movie isn't that good, then maybe I still had a lump in my throat <laughs> ridiculously <laughs> at the end. When, uh, when Rod and Jerry have their little moment and their little point outside the dressing room and stuff because I fully invested and believed in that male relationship. And G was even saying like, 
she didn't remember it at all. She'd seen it many times, but she just forgets stuff quite quickly. But she just said, you know, she was stunned at how honest the two of them were and how open they were from the moment they, they start talking at the beginning. You know, they both lay their full life on the line with each other and they, they yeah. back each other and they go on the journey together. And at the end, you know, you back me like I back you. And it gives you... It's very manipulative. It's a ridiculous ending, that big football game. But it's, it gives you a freaking spine shiver, man. That's Why what it's all about, out? though, isn't it? You know, I had a film lecturer who uh, disliked a film because it, uh, it was Armageddon, because it made him cry. <laughs> so basically, he was angry that he cried at Armageddon. And he said it was too manipulative. And I'm like, what? You know, there were different types of manipulation in any sort of film. This one is obviously very obvious manipulation, like Indiana Jones. Uh, not to put that in the same category as Armageddon, but that's sickening. But Indiana Jones, yeah, it's all about Spielberg. It's all, about, you know, manipulation. It's beautiful. You go along with it, absolutely. Um, that's what it's all about. So in terms of what you're talking about, good for Crow. Bring on Crow. Let them eat Crow. I eat Crow. Um, he looks like a Crow, and I like Crow. Cameron Crow. So I like all of that. Um, so no, good for him. And the point is earned. And of course, Cruz earns and owns that point. It's a hell of a point. Um, quickly, I had that Empire VHS as well. And I watched the shit out of it. And I have seen Jerry Maguire properly maybe three times in my life. But I've seen that trailer 712. So... I'm familiar with the song cues that you mentioned, the music cues, and exactly the moments that I can see the point very clearly in my mind, because like all good trailers, it shows the end of the film. So <laughs> that's that's wonderful. So yeah, and the dance he does and all of that. And I, you know, I love friendships and their friendship is so good. And they have such good on-screen chemistry. So bizarre, says I. It's I a shame it's they great. didn't do more Cruise and Cuba after that they could have done a different movie if, if you like maybe but Cruz doesn't really do that sort of stuff does he like you know um I mean we can get into the cruise of it all on a whole separate yeah, occasion because there's yeah. there's good stuff there <laughs> I will say just to, to mirror what you said I like Cruz I think obviously publicly very famously you know good old Cruz okay <laughs> like, well, whatever beaten man but let me say this he gives it 100% in everything he does. He absolutely goes for it. Um, he wants it to be as good as humanly possible. So, uh, you know, and he likes jumping off things. So I say good for Cruz, all power to Cruz. And just quickly about Top Gun, I'm so happy for Cruz. Literally, as if he's a friend of mine, I'm so happy that Top Gun 2 has done so well. But it's not a, necessarily a name, even though it's famous and a brand recognition, it's not necessarily going to sell. They've done so well and repeat business and it shows that people want to go to the cinema and enjoy spectacle and cinema can still exist, you know, and if it's big, fine. Uh, and it will, if it keeps cinema alive, do it. And so it's great to know that that's happening. And it's just past the billion. The little Tommy Cruz, he won't be like scampering around, begging, looking for skimps again. Uh, he's all right <laughs> for a little while. So hooray. Uh, so I like Cruz, is what I'm saying. Um, so good old Maguire. I remember you quoting Dickie Fox quite oh, often. Yeah, I love um, He was brilliant again in the rewatch, mm, Yeah, mm, yeah, really, really good. So 
So I think my closing point there really is that you've always had a very strong connection with this film and I haven't. And to take it all back circle, I like it. Um, and the reason I didn't rewatch it is because I thought of an idea where I didn't need to rewatch it. As it so happened, I thought it'd be an interesting direction to go story-wise. And so I read the plot on Wikipedia just to remind <laughs> myself, just in case anyone died that I'd forgotten. But it all happened as I as I remembered, um, and so I went in a in a slightly offshoot direction. So if I was going to do Jerry Maguire two, where is Jerry twenty thirty years later? Where is it? All of those principal characters, you know, Cuba, uh, Do Dorothy, um, him, um, where are they? And obviously, you would want to know where Lip Nicky is, you know, because and so to do a sequel like that could work. It's a total before sunrise type thing, but with a whole family 30 years later, uh, where's everyone now? It totally could work. Um, and I don't know if that's what you did, but I didn't. And, and so because I wasn't doing that, I didn't rewatch it. So that's all I want to say about that. I wasn't that's very exciting, I wasn't disrespecting your family. Um, <laughs> so, so there you, you gotta go. got to go where the energy is, Sheppy. You've got to go where the energy is. I think... Um, yeah. I have gone sort of like that. In fact, what I'll do for you now, just before I get into a couple of the reflections on the rewatch, I'll give you my trailer line, Sheppy, and um, yes. just see what you think. This is a tease for, for well, I'll let you know as well. It's called Jerry Maguire too, my one. I've gone nice. nice and simple. Is it um, T-O-O and he's been cloned? Because <laughs> if so, we've both gone in exactly the same direction. <laughs> Cruz has lost control. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, that's my tagline. That's my trailer sting. <laughs> and they're just both of them doing a Spider-Man and pointing at each other. Going, hey, you. Hey, you. No, you. And there's two Jerry Maguire's pointing well, at each other. Well, that's happy. And one's the cartoon. And that's the end of the sting of the trailer. Yeah, yeah exactly. And one has got a Spider-Man hel uh, helmet, mask, on, and balaclava. So Amazing. that's... Okay, well, I haven't gone into the Jerry-verse. I'm going basically... Uh, into just a very, it's, it, it ended up being very formulaic the way I've gone, Sheppy, in a way. Like, you know, it's very much the continuation of story. But on, on the trailer line, I sort of see it as one of those Cruz's voiceover with some images, if you like. So the Cruz voiceover is basically saying, forget past mistakes, forget failures, forget everything except what you're going to do now and do it. And then underneath all of that, you see Lip Nicky as a quarterback playing American football, running backwards with a ball in slow motion. Cruz and Tidwell, I put, it's going to be one of those with the character split, but Cruz and Cuba Good Jr. drinking a beer on the back step of the restaurant. Then Maguire receiving some kind of award for sports things. And then Dorothy Boyd on the edge of a sofa seat, presumably watching a game of American football. So that's basically that, Sheppy. Oh, that's great. What a nice tease. So glad to see everyone. And it answers the question about is lip in it? Is he showing any lip? Is he giving it any lip? Um, so, I'm, and is he paying lip surface? I'm all for it. Um, so yeah, good stuff. That's that's enticing, Jimmy. And it's Jerry Maguire too, as we've established. Let me say this, I have a random, which I was not gonna share, um, line of dialogue, but this is the one I'm gonna use for right now. Uh, so the, <laughs> so this, I guess is the sting, and no, this is, I, 
does it have to be the sting? Or can no, it just no, be I think it can be anything, anything you like. All right, so this is a really random moment when it's cutting relatively quickly in the trailer, in the second half of the trailer. And it's um, now, um, it's Jay, Jay Moore, is it pronounced that way? Oh, yeah, Bob Sugar, yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah. yeah. So it's Jay Moore, um, which I was never sure if I was going to pronounce that correctly or not, or if it's Mawa or something. But anyway, from this moment on, he's, like you say, yeah, he played Bob Sugar, who is this slimy cunt in the original um, who fucked Jerry over. Uh, like a, what was he, Jimmy? Like a, a rival scouting he was Cruz's Padawan, I think. He was, um, right. he was, yeah. Cruz was his mentor. McGuire was his mentor. And then he, yeah, he, he sacks him in the him. restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. I'm letting you go, Jerry. Uh, that's from the trailer, obviously, because I know it really well. And then Cruz's face. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So it's in the middle of the desert. This, this two second, two and a half second clip from the middle of the trailer. In the middle of the desert and it's night and there's a campfire going and the campfire's out of control and there's a cactus which is on fire. And in the foreground is Bob Sugar and he's wearing cowboy boots and just underwear and, and a cowboy hat and that's it. And he's possibly like you know, tripping or something. He's going nuts, whatever it is. And he's screaming up into the, uh, into the night sky in the middle of this desert. He shouts out, I am the architect of my own existence. <laughs> so there you go. That's random, isn't it? <laughs> I feel what like. What do you think about that? <laughs> In a minute, we'll have a quick chat about Cameron Crowe, but that feels like quite a Cameron Crowe moment. It feels like it's sort of Elizabeth Town on acid, sort of thing, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. that's on your poster, did you? Quote? <laughs> right. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, I haven't given you my title. My title isn't Jerry Maguire 2. Okay, nice. um, I, I didn't ask, by the way. Yours is 2022. I'm I'm let me get into the year of it all in a minute. Like, okay. when we do the pitch, I will just pause right. on the year. No, Not fair enough. too much thinking, but I just wanted to, yeah. I, well, fair I probably enough. Well, I'm, I'm just going to say, I'll, I'll just say that mine is 2022. Mm. Um, and it and it's directed by and written by Cameron Crowe, uh, and it's called Winning in Last Place, and oh, it's okay. it's it's yeah it's it's not what you might expect, <laughs> uh, but it's yeah. So there you go. That's a little a, a tease. But as we know, Jimmy, this was your pitch, your baby, to, to you. <laughs> Well, before talk before we dive in, yeah, I want to do a couple more Maguire reflections as well, Sheppy. And just also, like, so let me say this, right, before we move on from the cruise of it all on this movie, like, he's nominated for Best Actor in this, the last time he's been nominated for Best Actor. And I just wanted to give you the nominees on that year. And just, let's just, let's, let's just, you know, take this. We've got Ray Fiennes for The English Patient. Woody Harrelson for People vs. Larry Flint, Jeffrey Rush Shine and Billy Bob Thornton's Sling Blade, and of course, Cruises mm -hmm. McGuire. It's a pretty good bloody list, right? Yeah, a very good lineup. 96 again, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, possibly it's 490. And you know That's what? It is a solid year. I couldn't even remember who'd won, but it was Jeffrey no, Rush. I'm trying won. to remember. Like, yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. No, so, and everyone was like, good, good, but for the first half of the film, 
it's someone else playing it equally well. So that's a bit unfair. Yes. Um, but never mind. Yes, it that. is unfair. Yeah, I right. Can, uh... He was on the poster, jumping around <laughs> on his trampoline with those headphones on and the sun sunblock. That that's an image just like that video of Jerry Maguire trailers. <laughs> I gave away for some reason. Nothing with Jerry Maguire trailers. Uh, that image from yeah from Shine is burned into my brain so so that's nice um Good. i wanted to say as well like a few things so i did some googleage too sheppy so so i've just got a couple of agenda items and we'll get to pitch so quickly on the movie i just want to give you a few more reflections on the rewatch so i put here still love dicky fox i put um lip nicky is really annoying at the start <laughs> so oh, the no. is actually quite balanced like, do you know what I mean? like, where, where they think he's being really cute actually it's been quite annoying so it's not it's not it's not just all cutesy with the kid which is helpful um yeah i put the heart of the whole thing is the Tibble mcguire um i regina king is really impressive as Mrs. Tidwell in the movie. Like really, really impressive, Sheppy. Like by some distance, I would suggest maybe the best thing in it, which is pretty pound for pound. Oh, wow. She comes in and she smashes it. And it's really interesting to watch that. Um, nice. Yeah, I've put here like, you know, the the You Complete Me. We, when he does the speech in the living room, at the end in front of the divorced uh, women group um he he kind of he goes from you complete me to start i used to think it was really cool but it's not cool but he just goes, <laughs> you, you complete me and then he starts saying we live in a cynical cynical world we're in a business of tough competitors and you're like cruise you just you go off oh, what about the business again just come back to the bloody and it's sort of surviving on the fumes of cruise's charisma of what we'll put here like you know that whole thing is actually just that's ludicrous anyway but um <laughs> i thought that the sister is great as well on a rewatch it's very funny lots of sharp barbed lines you know don't cry at the start of the date cry at the end of it like i do all that stuff is it's nice you know there's there's lots of Bonnie wonderful Hunt. moments yeah good old bonnie <laughs> she comes back yeah. in line as well um she by <laughs> the way was in rain man um with Cruz for one second well a, a minute she was the waitress in the famous dropping and counting the uh, toothpick scene, and oh, nice. and and crew and he's like you know like 197, and uh, she, and Cruz is like oh it says 200 almost, and she says there are three left in the little pot, and that was the scene at the Oscars for Dustin Hoffman being nominated in '88 I guess, um, and so Bonnie Hunt was everywhere because that was the clip that they showed everywhere and she said there are three in the pot so she's really proud of that I've heard. <laughs> so there you nice. go that helped her out back in the day and so I wonder if she mentioned that to Cruz when they were making Jerry Maguire <laughs> I hope so I like to think he nice. doesn't just go back to his trailer between takes I, I think mm. he's a man of the people he probably sent her a cake apparently he does that <laughs> yeah. Mr. Dunn still gets a big cake good old Cruz I bet the cake is bloody delicious yeah. So, so that's nice. Um, I'm all for that. Good for him. I like it all. Can I give you some um, bits and bobs, Sheppy, around like what ifs, castings, all that sort of stuff? So, there's some please. really interesting stuff out there. So, Cameron Crowe originally wrote the screenplay for Hanks, Tom Hanks, and but oh. he took so long to write it. By the time the film was ready to be made, Hanks was too old to play Maguire. So, Woody Harrelson. You would... don't think you don't think of Hanks as being too old especially in the like 1996 I and he's still probably could have done it. age yeah it's a weird thing it's a it's a weird thing because hanks is boyish 
and that would have been what you've got male sort of era i think um even yeah so it's like that's a weird reason not to it's like liam neeson apparently aged out of playing lincoln but i don't know make of that what you will so I don't know about that bullshit reason. I reckon he went for Hanks. Hanks was on board, and Cruz was like, "Hey," and he was like, "I'm going for Cruz," and that's the official reason that the IMDb is still selling or the wiki or whatever. Yeah. Um, but all right, fair enough. Hanks. I hear. I heard you said the name Woody Harrelson. Yeah, he was offered it next, but I want to actually you saying that, Sheppy. I gotta say, Cruz's performance, particularly in the first half of the movie, he's a really good arsehole on screen tom cruise like it's when at the beginning of edge of tomorrow when he's a bit of an arsehole then you're like oh yeah. yeah i really love this version of cruise and and he's really good as the sports agent that sort of doesn't really have a conscience at the beginning when you know yeah. he's got a dad in the bloody hospital bed he's got concussion for the 15th time and he's still got to play on sunday you know it would take a truck it would take an army of trucks to knock down your dad and the kid's like go fuck yourself you know like it's a great like gut punch for crews like it's really good that stuff is yeah the, we've got to say like the opening 10 minutes mcguire is pretty nailed on perfect in terms of the energy and like you're straight in and yeah it's happy but yeah woody <laughs> woody was offered the role straight out and turned it down apparently who knows Amazing. This is all good that would be difficult well, i mean yes uh, assuming there's truth to that it, i mean he was nominated for people versus larry flint so i assume he's in and out of those two yeah i could see why woody would go for people versus larry flint instead of jerry Maguire. um and certainly he leans into that and goes the other way away from romantic eating man type to being larry fucking flint so that all worked out very well for everyone but yeah. if milosh hadn't come knocking and I can see Woody doing that. Yeah, I mean, he was Woody Boyd, for God's sake. He could do the cuntiness and he could do the boyish charmingness. So, yeah, yeah, he's got a weird I think, face. I think what I love, I tell you the big, the big dime moment there on the casting of Jerry Maguire is that scene with Bob Sugar in the cafe and how each actor might interpret it. And of course, it's pure silly speculation, but I feel like Woody would it would just be that we, that edge more confrontational and a bit more like screw you you're screwing me over where Cruz is just doing so much that's interesting there you said it before like his expression like that sort of held smile is really interesting decision in that moment like it and it's just wonderful and then it creates its own energy when he's running back to the office to try and get his his uh, black book of you know sports stars that, that whole thing is a very special bubble you just don't want to touch it because they've got it perfect you know what i mean it's like yeah, yeah. so um look that it was a I, I could give you them all but it's a rogues gallery of female actors at the time that were uh that were considered for dorothy which is like patricia arquette beckinsale bridget fonda winona Ryder, marisa tomei cameron diaz uma jennifer lopez all considered apparently um wow. yeah and then but, you know Sabine, whenever i hear a name like that i'm sure that's true and i did also hear in the past that it was a cognitive role um, yeah. But then again, when it's like names considered, it's always like, well, of course, and it's just like a name of all of your leading could have been a lunch. actresses. <laughs> it, you know, it's it's like someone sat down and con consulted IMDb to write the, the IMDb page. So it could be that. Um, so you always have to take it with that. But it makes sense because, yeah, absolutely. Why not? And I know that Zellweger had basically came out of nowhere. I mean, she'd been in stuff. She was a real Sandra Bullock wannabe. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, 
but nonetheless, good for her. She, she yeah, so she, she's kind of scored it and was a quote unquote unknown. She was an unknown. Um, so, and did she get Oscar nommed for that? I don't think so, Sheppy. No, I um, don't think she was. She's great in it as well. Great in it. Yeah. The moment yeah, where she splits up with him is beautifully acted by her. Really well done. Like, her character at one point looks like it's going to veer off into a direction you don't want it to. I mean, declaring her love for him after one night is a bit mad, right. but um, but you know, I think um, I think she really she does well with what she's given there, and yeah, most of it's very rich and great from Crow. <laughs> um, yes, I was going to say with Zellweger, like she um she gets cast as Bridget Jones and it's probably second only to Daniel Craig in terms of uproar wasn't it was there uproar but she absolutely nailed that I wonder if Winslet was ever up in the running I don't know I always just heard that making this film it's Renny Zellweger I wasn't really invested in any of the material so I wasn't really bothered and I don't remember there being any upright but maybe that's just me not really being invested i will see i did see bridget jones diary at the cinema Cranley cinema and i liked it not as much as i was hoping i would i won't lie i was hoping it was going to be all weddings level um and it had moments of greatness but i, I, I wasn't blown away um, to this um but i like everything and i like the cast and it made me like grant so that's yeah <laughs> why is it grant Cruz? they're just at their best when they're horrible people on the screen it's really it's fun. because they have faces which could normally be really smug and superior and because they're both very successful megastar actors it'd be very very easy for them to be that way so they always go out of their way usually in films to play the opposite to them obviously um so when they do in the terms of edge of tomorrow for example where of course he has to be nasty the beginning and then he gets the redemption and then he gets to be the hero so when he does get to play the, the nasty selfish Tom Cruise at the beginning it is glorious uh, because it's like Maverick it, just to go to that for a second but the original Top Gun he's cocky that's whole part of his character he is overconfident I don't like you because you're you're dangerous that's right Iceman so so he, he so he doesn't often play really cocky I guess Cocktail might be I guess the beginning of a few good men a little bit but yeah he tones down the cockiness and he only really shows it if he has to learn humility which of course he always does goose so so hooray for, <laughs> for the cruiser and good for him when he plays a nasty man yeah. it's a shame he never plays like oh I'll shout out to collateral so that's nice when he looks like Philip Schofield <laughs> We will do. We'll have to do a cruise uh, career retrospective as well, Shepard. Yeah, we will. We will. In the meantime, was there anything else you wanted Only to just, say? About, yeah. Yes. I wanted. To, it was interesting to me. Damon Wayans and Jamie Foxx both considered for Rod Tidwell, and then I can um, see that, especially yeah. Jamie Foxx. Yeah, agreed. But, but then he I was mean, in Any Given Sunday. A few, even like, yeah, a few years later. I love the surprise factor of Cuba in that role, though, because watching Boys in the Hood and then you never would have guessed he had that level of energy in it. Well, you know. that's true. No, you're absolutely right. He was in Outbreak. He was very good in Outbreak. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Um, good for him. It was sort of like a second. It was like a one-two punch separated by six years. Uh, so yeah. it was cool. Five years. So that's nice. Just, uh, um... It's interesting that Cuba Gooding Jr., he was in Pearl Harbor, which... Okay, I'm not going to 
go into another Michael Bay film. But I will say it's a relatively, you know, it's a quote unquote, it wants to be a worthy film. And Cubic Jr. is very good in it, as we all know from Team America. So it's like, okay, but mainly the films he was in um, after Joe McGuire were really zany slapstick comedies with one or two exceptions. He was in Men of Honor with De Niro about the deep sea diver tank person. But for every one big serious one, he was in at least three random sub Adam Sandler type vehicles. Um, I guess he was just having a good time, but it was a strange career choice. He didn't quite stick the course, I don't think. Yeah. So the final one was Billy Wilder was considered for the part of uh, Dickie Fox, which is oh, yes. which is nice, right? And uh, but it ended up being a guy called uh, Jared Jusin. But um he was like yeah. he was a lawyer. He, yeah. I think he was coming from his lawyer. He's like Bruce. That's you so see cool. directors often make uh, people into stars. Can I say something quickly about Cameron Crowe? Um, yeah. Are you familiar with the minority? Uh, with no, I almost turned into my mother. Not the, but are you familiar with Minority Report? I am familiar with it, Sheppy. Yeah. Do you remember that there's a um, like a, a nice cheeky because it was around Vanilla Sky sort of era as well. Um, it was a cheeky Cameron Crowe, a cheeky Cameron Crowe cameo. Um, Amazing. In, yeah. Where he's on a on a bus or something, and he's looking at a newspaper, a hollow newspaper probably, of Cruz saying "fugitive on the run," and he looks up, and Cruz is sitting opposite him on the bus, and you're watching it, and you're going, "Oh, that's great, that's funny." There's Cameron Crowe, what a nice thing. But then Spielberg fucks with you because behind Cameron Crowe, you can see twenty five percent, but clearly Cameron Diaz just sitting there, like looking bored in the background, sitting on the bus, like half obscured by someone else's newspaper. Wow. It's genius because you're really busy congratulating yourself and spotting a bit of full faced crow <laughs> in the background. You've got the Diaz machine. It's that's a, a double, double cam. <laughs> yeah, it's a damn cam. So that's hardcore. So shout out to that because um, <laughs> that's nice. Is there anything else that I mean, Cameron Crowe? Cameron Crowe, what yeah. is Jerry Maguire your favorite Cameron? No, Crow? no, no, no. Almost famous, Sheffy, for me, one thousand percent. Right. Yeah, that's that's, oh, that's a, nice yeah. stuff. I, I, I How about you? To that. Me too. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, almost famous. And if you want the director's cut, which you have to call untitled, even though I don't like saying I like untitled, but it's a bit of a nose face, but. The film, the director's cut of Almost Famous, which is called Untitled, um, is my preferred. You know, it's just got more. It's great. Oh, nice. So it's, it's, I, I don't know if so, I've bloody seen that. That's very happy. Yeah. I'm going to play get on to that. It's just more stuff. More stuff yeah. with Francis McDermott as well. Um, it's really good. Um, so I, I recommend that, yes. But I'll say Almost Famous is my favourite. Um, what about, I mean, his other stuff. I mean, Say Anything, that was him. Yeah, um, and that's that's famous and iconic, you know, with the old stereo. Although I, it was never one of my quote-unquote films. Yeah, no, me, me too, Sheppy. I feel like yeah, I I think Maguire at number two probably, right. and maybe and the rest is sort of in a. I've seen it, but uh, don't remember you, it. Iconically, Elizabeth Town. Do you Ooh. remember? Did you ever watch? All right. Well, let me tell you this: Elizabeth Town lost the battle of Volcano versus Dante Peak or 1492 and Christopher Columbus, The Discovery. I could go on. It, it lost the battle with Garden State. They both came out the same year and one, you know, it was the TV Truman Show scenario. Uh, one just obliterated the other. You can't both, the only time it ever worked, well, there's some, I guess, you know, Deep Impact and Armageddon 
both survived because they came out at different times. Of, but yeah, so there you go. Anyway, well, um, before we so move Elizabeth on, Jeffy, have you seen it? Yes. Have you seen it, Elizabeth Town? I saw Elizabeth Town like a few years later. I'm not a big Orlando Bloom fan, I have to no. say. He has a punchable face, um, <laughs> but I'm sure he's a lovely man. Nonetheless, I did watch it, but I was still all about Garden State. I've, I've listened to the director's commentary, haven't you? Big fan of Garden State back in the day. I need to rewatch that just to see. But nonetheless, Elizabeth Town saw it once. I was like, meh, it had its moments. I didn't like the Susan Sarandon stand-up performance at the end. I remember that being a bit cringeworthy. I remember he dancing did, in I, the forest I, as well. Did you remember that? No, I don't, like, I, no, this I don't, horrible, I don't. horrible moment in the movie, Sheppy. It's unwatchably awkward. Right. Orlando Bloom okay. being instructed to so dance is, like there was watching in a forest. Or something, you know, like, and he does it, and it's uh, meant to be kooky. Well, and yeah. Mm. Well, there you go. So it's not just us, or it wasn't a fluke. It isn't great by the sounds of it. He did We Bought a Zoo, which I haven't seen. Yeah, we've seen that. It's fun. It's nice. Oh, good, it might be in good. at number three for me. How about that? Well, that's <laughs> lovely. You know, what about Aloha? That's had a bit of backlash because Emma Stone plays someone from Hawaii, I think. Okay. Oh, dear. Well, listen, let's get to the pictures in a sec, Sheppy. But I want to say, like, Elizabeth Town itself, just to circle back, there's a really, really funny bit in it, but I would never ask you to rewatch the movie to, to see it again. But an amazing moment at the beginning, because I want to say Crow's got great comedy chops, right? And yes. there's this bit where uh, it starts so well, Elizabeth Town. It's, it's really Baldwin. disappointing. Yeah, it's amazing. Although well, Bloom has designed a shoe <laughs> that's so bad, people would decide to go bare feet instead <laughs> That's really amazing. And then Alec because they've had to cancel the shoe, the, the business has lost so much money. So Cameron Crowe, uh, sorry, Alec Baldwin takes Orlando Bloom on a tour of the place. And then he opens these doors and it'll be like, here's the green room. And, you know, it's such a shame. You know, these guys were about two weeks away from finding a cure for the planet sort of thing, you know, this uh. because of the shoe. They really go off and want to lean into that gag. And that made me very, very happy. And I thought we're in for another treat here. Thanks, Mr. <laughs> and then, of course, not quite, but never mind. But. Well, that, yeah, because we just sort of shat on Elizabeth Town, so I'm really glad you circled back, because uh, that's fair. And Crow, um, and so, you know, he's, yeah, uh, we're, we're all friends here, and good old Crow, and I haven't seen people to Zoom, so maybe I should. I'm all for it. Um, <laughs> so good old Crow. Um, right, chips. Wonderful, Jimmy. Shall we jump in? Let's I'm jump dying in. to hear. Let's do it. So we have got. Jerry Maguire 2, I've got it directed by Cameron Crowe again. I didn't get into the, there's so many cast members, everyone's available, yeah. they've juggled it with their projects. Um, yeah. I've gone with 2010, but don't get too okay. hung up on the 2010 of it all. Really, I've just put whatever date can have the boys in this, i.e. Lip Nicky and another, which I'll tell you in a minute, um, if they can play late teenagers slash early 20-somethings, great. You know, okay. so whenever that works. Um, well, I guess 2010 is good. He was like, what, six in 96? Yeah, feels right. Feels right. Felt, yeah. So, so yeah. So 2010 sounds perfect, I would say. By the way, I'm glad you went with it, Nicky. Quick question, one studio head to another. Did you ever consider recasting him? Did he do any, not naming any other names, frankly, but going off the rails a little bit? 
a little drinky. I don't think he did. Crashy, crashy. Him and Stuart Little just smoking a bong together yeah. somewhere. In the, yeah, yeah, I like the idea of that. Well, um, that, that mouse's head caught fire. He was way too close. He was badly <laughs> thought out from the beginning. But I mean, look, I like, there's two reasons I haven't. One, I love the Jerry O'Connell of it all as Cushman in the original and the fact that he was the kid from Stand By Me who's a bit chubby and turned nice. into a quarterback. So you can pull the same thread with Lipnicki and Maguire, which would be nice. And then um, the the second thing is just, as a, as a general rule of thumb, and I'm sure I've said it before on the pod, I hate recasting in sequels. It yeah. makes me very angry. Dark Knight with Maggie, as brilliant as she is in Dark Knight, makes yeah. me angry. Like, you know, just, you know, so I, I, I yeah. try and avoid if possible. That being said... Elizabeth Shue was not a shoe in is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. And I agree with you, that being said, and I'm totally on the fence with it, but I, I really wanted to put Michael B. Jordan in this as Tyson Tidwell, um, Rod's son, and that he's not the kid that plays Tyson Tidwell in the no. original movie. So, um, no, he yeah, But he wasn't a large role, right? He was no, like, tell yeah. him about the mould. So yeah. <laughs> that's a, he, I, you can get away with that. I feel a bit sorry for the original actor, but it's forgivable when he's a, if you give him a larger role and he does, or whatever. If this is 2010, yeah, that works. He wasn't a super duper star at that point, but he was B Joe. So that's <laughs> nice. So we've got everyone's back, basically, Sheppy. You've got, um, you know, Cruz, obviously, is Maguire. Cuba is Rod Tidwell. Rene is Dorothy Boyd. Jay Moore, our man, with his pants nice. on at the cactus, um, nice. as Bob Sugar. Jerry O'Connell is back as Cushman, just a small cameo. Nice. Um, Regina King back as Marcy, Jonathan Nicky back as Ray, and the only Michael B. Jordan as Tyson Tidwell, and I've put Taylor Lautner as Chad Taylor. Now, if you just said that to me, I wouldn't bloody know who Taylor Lautner is, but I do know him. So I, I kind of Googled, you know, who was a big star in 2010, and of course he's in the, the Twilight movies. Um, I've never seen a Twilight movie, but he's a big actor, and he kind of would convince as, a, as an American football player, probably. So he's called nice. Chad Taylor. Um, that works. Was he the werewolf? I think he was the werewolf, yeah. Because then don't say I think he was the werewolf. <laughs> were you team Arpats or were you team the werewolf? Because well, I was always team Arpats. I haven't even seen the trailer, but I'm probably team Arpats, yeah, yeah. Because you know. <laughs> so okay, so this this is 2010. So if this is the werewolf, he would be top of his. Oh yeah, uh, this is a this scope. is a, yeah yeah yeah. This is a get. It's a yeah. get for shiz, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's kind of the a MacGuffin, if you like, in some ways. But anyway, um, so similar start to the first one. And by the way, you'll be very happy for consistency purposes to know, Sheppy, that of this pitch, the first two pages are the first two minutes. <laughs> okay, good stuff. <laughs> and then, well, and then, then we zip through the movie. So, um, <laughs> so. You know, we, we open on, um, I mean, it's a very smug start as well as an amazing start from Jerry Maguire, if you remember, Sheppy, but it opens on the world and, and Cruz oh. saying, this is the world. And then it spins around and goes, this is America, where the world bloody revolves around, you know, essentially yeah. paraphrasing. And, but on this case, we go with, um, and I wonder, I'm about to reveal a card here, and I think you might have gone similar to me with what you've done. But don't tell me yet. Save that for your pitch. But I think you might yeah. have done a similar thing to what I've decided to do, which is mm -hmm. unfortunately bless him to not have Dickie Fox in it. But I, uh, anyway, um, so it starts with 
um, America from space, and then um, and then the world starts spinning, basically. So we're kind of not just focusing on America, although I don't really take them out of America. It doesn't really matter. And um, so we start yeah. spinning, and uh, you hear Tom Cruise's voiceover, and it, it just in the VO point, it just says, there are 7 billion people in the world, because he sort of said 6 billion in the last one. So 7 billion people in the world. Then we cut to Cruise sitting behind a desk, looking a bit older, Dickie Fox style. He's now going to be the Dickie Fox that takes us through this. I'm wondering whether nice. you're going to do a similar beat with Jay and his old mentor. But, um, and, uh, and then basically just Cruise to camera says, there's no shortage of incredible ideas. What's missing is the will to execute them. And then we just hear the da -da -da -da, well, same guitar thing as Jerry Maguire too. And then we have a bit of a montage here. So we're going to kind of have Cruise being Dickie Fox, as well as we're getting a lot of Cruise, as any good Cruise sequel should have <laughs> more Tom Cruise. So um, <laughs> we basically are going to have Cruise and Dickie Fox style kind of talking us through the action and coming in at beats. And I've got about maybe six Dickie Fox style quotes to pepper. And then we've obviously got Cruise in the movie with a bit of VO and a bit of, you know. So anyway, um, then this opening thing is a bit of a montage of um, sports stars coming through the Maguire management halls. So Jerry set his business up. It's going pretty well. Um, we, we get in this montage an award ceremony. It's one of the key moments. And um, Cushman is presenting an award. So this is our Jerry O'Connell um, cameo. He's now a bit of an elder statesman of football now. And, and Kush is like, you know, the next award is a lifetime achievement award. Got to tell you, it was the biggest mistake of my life not signing with this guy. And then, of course, Cruz, I can just see him being really, you know, he gives it the over smile and the over <laughs> like, gets it gets up on stage, beaming, accepts the award and then says to the crowd, you know, I owe my success to having listened to the very best advice and then forgetting it at all the moments I should have remembered it. But always learning, learning, learning. And then we see Bob Sugar in the crowd, maybe fuming, you know, a little bit. And then, so Mark McGuire is pretty successful at this point. Things are on the up and up. Um, and through the montage, we're also seeing, you know, the family growing up. So there's probably some little in-between time between the Lip Nicky style and, and where we land. There might be a little kid playing him in, in the middle, you know. But um, we see family barbecues. The boys are growing up with the Tidwells and they're playing ball and everything seems happy. Um, we are uh, we see Friday night football game in the credit sequence as well. So um, and there's a there's a scout in town for this football game. Not a big exposition that there's a scout in town. Maybe it's just cruises at the game, little shoulder tap to a guy that looks like a scout, and then uh, and then a wink to um, to Ray Nicky, who's playing as quarterback for the game. Um, and, um, and by the way, I've made him a quarterback because I don't know if you remember at the end of Maguire, he throws a baseball and he throws it very well back to a group of kids playing baseball. And yes. then um, we've got Tyson Tidwell as a receiver on the same team, just like his dad was as well. So we've seen the kids playing a bit of football at these family barbecues. The two are on the same team. Um, and Jerry is at the game with Dorothy and the Tidwells. And this is an opportunity just for Rod to look across at Jerry before the game starts because he's seen there's a scout there and just give him the cheeky show me the money fingertips, you know. And um, so um, we have... <laughs> I put here during some of this will be a surprise to me, Sheppy, because I wrote this yesterday and I haven't had a chance to review it. So. Oh, I love it! <laughs> Literally yeah. making yourself laugh with your own text. That's, That's wonderful. Very, That's it's a new low. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've got uh, during the game, Lipper, I put, which basically is Lip Nicky. Sorry, I, I'm so sorry. No, because if I don't now say 
that I have to acknowledge that I'm the guy who could, who was making myself cry with laughter at my own shit in in vacation. So I have to put that in just as an acknowledgement of that. So go ahead. It's my favourite moment of song so far, Sheffy. But anyway, here we go. Um, so during the game, Nick, Nicky and uh, Tyson, Ray and Tyson, they're combining for a few touchdowns. They clearly know each other really well. It's a good combination. We see from the field, Tyson Tidwell is a really cheeky character. The team love him. He's got all the lip, lots of, but he's not got his dad's chip on his shoulder, his dad's attitude. This is Michael B. Jordan, you know, um, he's, but he's really like, he's gregarious, he's funny, he's connecting with his team, all this stuff. You know, we just get all of that from little moments in the game. Um, but during one horror tackle, um, Tyson uh, breaks his leg nastily in the game and it's a career-ending break. And you know how Cameron always gets his music cues, you know, of course there's that little moment where, you know, things change, key change. Um, both boys, football, we, we get this implied through the credits being a both boys football represents that route into college neither of them is super academic and this moment the specific leg break is going to set them on different paths and we we get the scene in hospital where uh, Tyson's being treated and Rod Tidwell's losing it and he's like you know I'm freaking out here Jerry if you can't play football what future does he have what future does he have and Jerry McGuire's like it's okay Rod it's okay Um, and at this stage we're kind of at the produced by in our extended credit sequence and we go back to um, Jerry at the Dickie Fox desk and Jerry says almost everything worthwhile carries with it some sort of risk whether it's playing a sport starting a new job and then we just it becomes a voiceover of Cruz at the desk and and we we see um, Tyson join McGuire management as an intern getting coffee for busy crews in, in a busy sports client meeting or something like that and then we hear uh you know crews say leaving home and we see lip nicky going to college um you know the car drive away all fully loaded up leaving a bit of an empty nest for jerry and dorothy and then or being married and then we just see jerry and dorothy in their new domestic setup kind of bumping into each other a bit awkwardly and randomly at home um, I can see some of the beats here of the drunk scene where Jerry comes round to her place where Renee does some really good resolute pointing, I put as Dorothy Boyd. There's a lot of like that, you know, that kind of resolute point. Um, but um, so they're sort of bumping into each other. Things are very awkward in the empty nest. And the mini montage culminates in Jerry approaching Dorothy at the same time in the kitchen one evening and then both saying that they want to talk to each other. Um, and let's just say Jerry's got like a piece of paper or something, it doesn't really matter. But, um, and they do the you first, and then you go first. And they go, okay, let's just go at the same time. And so Jerry says, let's take a holiday. And at the same time, Renee Zellweger says, let's get divorced. Like that. And Jerry yeah. is like, visibly shocked by this. It's a real like humdinger for him. Um, and I've just put like, I haven't got much more on that scene. Let's just assume Cameron Crowe nails it with the perfect needle drop here. Maybe there's a little echo of Secret Garden or something, but um, which we didn't mention, but it was, it was a song that was everywhere at the time. Springsteen really, we did mention it with yeah. the trailer actually, but yeah, just. But know. we never said Springsteen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's stuff. It's a lovely little song and the, and the whole soundtrack of Jerry Maguire, I remember having it and thinking it was fantastic, yeah. so. Well, that's the other thing with Crow. His, he's one of those directors that he used to work with um, journalism, the music industry yeah. and stuff. He, yeah, his music knowledge, and so he does very good. 
hence almost famous being amazing <laughs> um, well that's semi-autobiographical totally uh, yeah. so yeah it's wicked so that's the moment we'll get our directed by Cameron Coe and then we get to a cut to Jerry arriving at the Tidwell's house, you know, and Jerry's like, you know, I didn't know who else to call. I'll get a hotel tomorrow, middle of the night stuff. Um, this is a really random, stupid moment. Shouldn't be in it, but it doesn't matter. So Rod takes him in. But of course, they've got a very crowded house at the Tidwell's. And um, and Jerry has to spend the night with T.P., who's uh, Rod's big-mouthed older brother. Uh, I don't know if you remember him, but he's quite a funny character, Jerry Maguire. And, um, and I just said this up for a bit of, like, perhaps mistimed comedy here where tp's playing some kind of basketball game on playstation and um, and he's like you know this game jerry and jerry's like yeah i mean you know we, we got the endorsement for you know i've just put insert appropriate basketball player here you know <laughs> and tp like just throws jerry the controller a little bit aggressively and cruz catches it and uh and and tp's like you can play and cruz is like reluctantly yeah i can i can hold my own i can hold my own and anyway then we just cut and it's like 105 to nothing on the basketball game and tp's <laughs> like are you even trying man and then uh and, and Tom Cruise is getting annoyed with the controller. Like, is this what does this what does this button even do? Like that, <laughs> that's dribble, Jerry. Like that. Anyway, so that's, that's just a stupid little moment. The button that's is... great. <laughs> um, Maguire is overnight at the Tidwells, and the next day with Rod at breakfast. Um, you know, Rod Tidwells is like, so she says she wants a divorce, and what did you say to her like that? And Tom Cruise is like, nothing. I didn't. I I just came here, and uh, Tidwells like, you didn't fight for her, Jerry. And uh, Cruz is like, well, I, I respected her space and her opinion. And uh, until I was like, what, well, running for office now? And then Regina um, King sort of says, you know, you should have fought for a Jerry. And, uh, and then they have a little, uh, if you're, you know, basically they're very smoochy, the two of them, very much in love, you know, all the time. And, you know, and then of course, Rod and uh, have a little, I would fight for you, my angel queen, whatever. And then, uh, and so we just cut to a moment, which could have been in the trailer, by the way, and was my second choice for quote for the trailer. But Jerry calls Dorothy from the Tidwells and says, Dorothy, Dorothy, please, you you still you still complete me. And Renee Zellweger just says, Jerry, there's nothing left like that. And then basically cut to Tom Cruise's Dickie Fox saying, Yesterday's touchdowns don't win today's games. And then um we hear Rod say to Jerry back in the scene, you know. When are you going to let Tyson have his first client, Jerry? He, and Jerry's like, when he's ready. And he goes, the NFL draft is coming up, Jerry. And uh, goes, when Tyson's ready, we'll give him his first client when he's ready. So that's the dynamic there, obviously, that he's still an intern, still getting the coffee. Um, so we go back. The next scene brought the next big scene is the NFL draft um, event. And Jerry is there with Tyson. I've said similar energy to the first film when he's there with uh, Tidwell and Cushman. Um, maybe the tech and spectacle is a bit better. And we meet Chad Taylor, our, our wolf man, my favourite, um, who's a real uh, unsigned Cushman rookie that's being pecked from all angles, from agents and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And he's hating it. Um, he's really hating the experience. You can see that. He's more of an innocent than Cushman was. He's not loving the experience at all. Um, Chad and Tyson uh, meet in the men's room at the event and uh, just just off chance not like they're having a little uh, I know, liaison. I know. I'm, I'm so juvenile I, I'm, 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 just please continue just ignore me uh, but it's just because that's probably the only time they could be 
alone together so it's a little bit you know manufactured but the bottom line is they meet in a men's room and they connect immediately because we've established Tyson as a natural connector is quite hilarious he's quite cheeky he's got some really good banter um, and starts giving him some shit about points the season or whatever and all this sort of thing and, then, and their, their youth their age is also a connector so you can see sort of Chad starts to open up a bit to Tyson you know and more than anything we've seen in the event you know so um, so Chad sort of says to him at the end you know, so who are you with and uh, Tyson's like well, a Maguire management, you know, and uh, and so anyway, they kind of established, okay, okay, and Chad's like, maybe we could do a deal with Maguire management, maybe, you know, I'm looking for representation, and uh, and anyway, as I let, uh, Chad says to Tyson, let's hook up later and see if we can thrash something out, you know, your people, my people, and Tyson's like, where? And Chad looks at, well, where, where do you want to meet later? And um, and then we cut back to Cruz, and uh, so uh, this is basically Tyson, you know, pushing the deal a bit, Come back to Cruz's Dickie Fox going, ABCs, baby, always be closing. And, uh, and then maybe and Chad says, look, OK, uh, Tyson, let's meet, I don't know, in the hotel foyer, 6 p.m. Tyson takes that back to Maguire, who is um, he's just incredulous. And he's like, Tyson, the number one draft pick wants to meet you in the foyer at 6 p.m. in front of the press and everybody. Are you crazy? Let's just stay and work the floor. Of course, 6 p.m. rolls round. Of course, Chad Taylor is waiting with a small entourage of his people at the reception and they don't show Tyson and, mm. and Maguire. And Bob Sugar sweeps in and signs up um, Chad Taylor. And Tyson sees Chad later, bumps into him. And, um, and Chad's like, man, it's too bad. I, I was really looking forward to working with you guys. And this specific dynamic throws a wedge between Jerry and Tyson Tidwell um, he wants obviously he's impatient to get his own clients and to 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 work and um and he leaves jerry to work with bob sugar basically bob sugar oh. obviously gets into his ear and whispers say come on man you're ready for your own portfolio or whatever you know so essentially that moment happens as well so jerry's been left by his wife left by tyson tidwell um and then we go back to tom at the, at the moment the needle drop i'm gonna just forgive me i'm just saying needle drop imagine cameron crow nails that moment <laughs> And we just yeah, cut to, uh, to Tom, Dickie Fox, Tom saying, remember, overnight success takes years. And, um, and then we have uh, Lip Nicky Ray's 18th birthday. And uh, they're all kind of getting together for that. But it's probably 90. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's Lip Nicky's birthday. And they're getting together. It's actually there's awkward dynamics between um, Jerry and Jerry and Dorothy, um, Jerry and Tyson. And we probably get a cameo from Bonnie here as the sister. And um, and we have Tibble and Maguire outside after the celebrations, having a beer on the step. And um, and Tibble's like, I don't like to say it, Jerry, but Tyson is flourishing. He's very happy at SMI like that. And Jerry's like, he'll come back. He'll come back. Show, show, sugar will show his true colours soon enough. And um, and they they the two boys, two men, see Dorothy and the sister leaving. And um, and and Tidwell's like, you know, and Dorothy, she's going to come back too, Jerry. And, uh, and Jerry McGuire's like, it'll all work out. It'll all work out. And uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. says, how's the apartment, Jerry? How's Jerry Maguire doing being alone? And Tom gives it as a Tom Cruise smile. And he goes, Jerry Maguire's a work in progress. It's just a temporary setback. And then I put here a huge montage to cover three years um, wow. where we see like, it's it i want like the, the the montage at the beginning of the first movie is so good um i want something like that you know but we see the business is growing but jerry is stagnating personally you know um 
I see three more birthdays of Nikki. Um, one's where Dorothy Boyd has a fella, and I've again lots of Jerry uh, spending time on his own. But in terms of the Dorothy Boyd having a fella, I put maybe Timothy Oliphant could come back here, come in here. He's in it. He doesn't have any dialogue. Maybe he's had a scene that gets cut out. Poor old Oliphant. But um, I was just thinking he's probably the right age or the right moment to catch him as as a as a potential Dorothy Boyd boyfriend. But um, <laughs> but on that note. On that note, Sheppy, have you ever seen a movie called A Perfect Getaway? Um, I don't think so. Just put it, I'm just going to say to you, if you ever get the chance to watch that one, we watched it the weekend and it was interesting. Good, right. good value is what I'm going to say. Oh. Um, don't like the ending, but it's got a brilliant middle. So I'll take it. I've, yeah. I've, had, I've heard that said about me. So I'm all for it, Jimmy. Um, good. I'll ask you to remind me of the title later, but I'm, yeah, you are, I'll take it to the staunch recommendation uh, and do the rest of the tales. Um, so then we, you know, we got lots of time with Jerry on his own in his apartment, which is why I sort of feel like I'm, he's only on his own in a hotel room at the beginning of Jerry Maguire. Um, but you know, there's that kind of tinkle and vibe, and it's a bit sad, you know. And of course. He, he is stagnating for quite a considerable period, this three-year period. Um, but we we hear, you know, and, and Tyson flourishing as well. And Bob Sugar in this little montage showing himself to not be a complete see you next Tuesday, you know, actually being quite nice and looking after Tyson a bit. And um, and, and we just hear uh, another uh, Tom Cruise's Dickie Fox with a, even if you're on the right road, you'll get run over if you just sit there. And um, and we see we we get to graduation time for um, Lip Nikki and um, Jerry arrives at the graduation ceremony early, um, and Dorothy bumps into him at the service without Oliphant, and um, it's an awkward moment, but it's a how have you been and all that kind of stuff, and um, and at the end of the exchange, uh, Jerry says to Dorothy, why why did you take the job at SMI in the first place before we even met? And it's basically like the first time she's ever been asked anything about herself, upset, which is probably bloody true, knowing the Jerry Maguire character. <laughs> and, um, and, um, and then she tells this little story of, you know, how she was actually a pitcher in the US national female baseball team um, when she was a kid, uh, up until the age of 18, and she got an injury. Uh, or something and so there's just a little story there for Dorothy about how you know why she was attracted to working for a sports uh, agency in the first place um, and then you know over this graduation thing we get this you know that Nikki is uh, actually all set to come home and play for the Arizona Cardinals um, and they're having a bit of a party for Nikki's graduation and Rod asks him you know you know are you going to come and play for the Cardinals and he seems really happy because he's now become a coach for the Cardinals and it's going to try and get him a trial all that kind of stuff and during this graduation party, Jerry um, is speaking to Dorothy and asks her if she can meet him, go through a few things now that, that Nikki's graduated and, you know, I guess is his stepson or whatever, you know, they talk about a few things practically, the, the grant he set up for him, all that kind of thing. Could she swing by the office around 4 p.m., you know, maybe on Tuesday or something? Like it's very practical, very much during the work hour, you know, end of work day. Um, it's not a date sort of thing, you know, but but given the practicality of Dorothy, it's kind of agrees, no problem, I'll come, come to the office. So she gets to the office and Jerry is, this is obviously after the party, gets to the office, Jerry's really busy. Um, and he's like, Dorothy, I'm, I'm sorry, I totally forgot. I've got to get to another meeting. Do you mind riding with me? And um, Clarence, who's just a throwaway character, but Clarence will drop you wherever you need to go after, you know. 
And um, so they get into a limo together, just a small little limo, you know, but one that Tom uses for all his executive meetings. And Dorothy's a bit peed, but she's not sure. So they get in the limo. Jerry's got some paper. He's sort of talking, you know, very, a little flustered, but talking about the finances, what he set up for Nikki, you know, what to do next with him and all that kind of stuff. And then Clarence says, you know, after maybe a minute's driving in movie time, um, Mr. Maguire, we're here. And they're at Chase Field, which is the home of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And um, I, by the way, I've, I assume Jerry Maguire kind of all takes place in Arizona, but maybe it doesn't. It might be LA. It doesn't really matter. But um, but uh, Jerry has commissioned the the baseball field for them for the evening. He knows a guy. Of course, he knows a guy. And um, and and so he's basically got floodlights on. The the stadium is open to them, um, and he's got a famous. Arizona Diamondback, you know, uh, receiver, whatever the guy with the gloves called, you know. And um, so the idea is, you know, Jerry get, picks up a baseball bat and Dorothy's going to pitch to him, you know, and they're just having a nice time, Rocky and Adrian style in the ice rink, you know. Mm. And um, and um, and Dorothy's going to pitch him to him and, you know, she's throwing the ball and, you know, gives it all the, I'm old, it's been a while, I've been injured. And then she just unleashes a 70 kilometres per hour at Cruz. And I can just see Cruz doing a, whoa, whoa like a double whoa like, anyway and they have a charming date night together basically and um and it's all about Cruz asking questions of Dorothy you know there's no nookie at the end of this I put but it's just actually suddenly he's he's just changed he's just a little bit more invested in her and actually you know it's just about them you know connecting um we have another scene now Cruz and Ray are that uh, Lip Nikki having a walk and talk and um, Ray's sort of just tentatively quizzing Cruz about the date that he's had with his mum and seems that Ray would be happy if they were to get back together from the dynamics of that and um, and Cruz is like you know we'll see how we go Ray and then anyway Cruz is walking let's say they've gone for lunch but they're walking back to Ray's apartment when they get to Ray's apartment Tyson is waiting for them there um, at the flat and Tyson says to uh, Ray in front of Cruz, have you thought about representation now you're joining the, the Cardinals? And um, and and then Nicky's in this very awkward moment of like, Jerry, of course, you know, I, I, I should have thought about it. I just assumed, you know, and, um, and, and Cruz is like, don't worry. It's fine. It's all good. You should, it's absolutely appropriate. You know, it's okay. You know, but he's clearly gutted as Maguire, mm -hmm. you know, and um, yeah. And then basically um, we then get to the big match, you know, that we're in the final act here. Um, and um, Nicky is still a kid, you know, he's not due to play in the game, um, but in the warm-up for the game, the uh, the quarterback for the Cardinals gets injured. Of course he does. And um, so he gets drafted in to play um, in this game. And Jerry is at the game because um, he just, would be other and, uh, and he calls Dorothy to tell her, you know, Lipnick has actually been drafted in. He's going to be on telly. He's going to be playing. So this is our Dorothy on the edge of her seat. Let's just say she's watching it on TV with her sister. Um, and we get a very tight, tense game where um, there's kind of three moments for Lipnicky. 
one uh, the first one is basically he completes an extraordinary pass for one of the early touchdowns so you know the crowd goes mad and starts to really get on Lipnicki's side and are really happy then the next play that they have he gets totally wiped out you know and it's, it's really like tense you know to the point where Dorothy has to just leave the room can't watch it on TV anymore and her sister's like where are you going um, and we get to the dying seconds of the game I don't even know American football Sheffield let's just say one more touchdown would be the decider um, and Lipnicki takes the ball um, it looks like actually he's holding onto the ball too long he gets totally crowded out there's no way he can throw it he's completely blocked so he faints and starts skipping through the players and he makes this extraordinary run through the field which is like a proper Gareth Bale for Tottenham Hotspur in his heyday where you can just hear all the seats going as everyone stands up to watch what's really happening um, and just as he gets to the um, almost to the uh, uh, touchdown area uh, which is probably called something else apologies American football fans and um, he gets taken out and he manages to just pop it up for a teammate to catch it and score and the stadium goes bananas um, and um, Jerry sees that Nicky in the dressing room after the game and um, and he says, Jerry, I, I am going to go with uh, Tyson and Bob, if that's all right. And uh, and um, and, you know, I hope that's that's OK. I just feel that's the way it should be. I want it to be about business, you know. And, uh, and Jerry says to Lipnicki, look, you know, I get it. I get it. And uh, Lipnicki says, you've been like a dad to me. And Cruz has a little moment of like, I've tried, you know, and uh, and he says to Cruz, I love you. And he goes, I love you, too. And, um, and they have a nice little moment. Then Bob, Sugar and Tyson come over and congratulate the Nicky too. And Bob says to Jerry, no hard feelings, Jerry. And, um, and Jerry just says, Bob, we've, we've all been dicks. We've all made mistakes. There's, there's more than enough clients to go around. Just, just look after him like you've looked after Tyson. And, um, and then Jerry gets a little steely-eyed resolve. And, um, and Nick Nicky says to him, where are you going? And Jerry says, I need to see your mom. And then we get Cruz's Dickie Fox saying, forget past mistakes, forget failures, forget everything except what you're going to do now and do it. And we think it's leading to a big moment where Cruz is going to run back to Dorothy again, exactly as the first movie. Um, and he's kind of, <laughs> and Cruz is fully bracing himself for a Cruz run. And the audience <laughs> in the cinema is bracing themselves for a Cruz run. Um, and we just hear, he's about to leave the dressing room, and we just hear a, a voice say, Jerry Maguire. And, um, and Dorothy Boyd is in the male dressing room, and all the male players look at her, and, um, and we get the flip of the first movie. Uh, and so she's in front of all the boys and she just says, if this is where it has to be, then this is where it has to be. And um, so um, Dorothy confronts Jerry in the locker room for the football players. She lays down why she thinks she may have jumped too fast into divorce, but the things have to change. At least one of the things she says gets her. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself again. At least one of the things she says is pretty cold and gets like a shit from one of the football players. <laughs> I don't know what that is yet, but like there's just that beat. And um, and then I haven't put the dialogue here, Shep, because I don't want to complete with the genius that was Cameron Crowe with all the beautiful stuff he laid down in the Jerry Maguire script. So all I've put is that Jerry lays back down why he thinks he's been self-centered and a bit of a dick himself um, and what he's appreciated for being alone and et cetera. So they have their moment and it's nice and it's done and all lessons are learned and Jerry really is ready to be a, a proper human being and care about somebody other than the kid or himself. Um, 
And then, you know, that's basically the end of the movie. And then we just get a final coda from Jerry's Dickie Fox, which is just, hey, the bad news is the clock is ticking and there will be a final whistle for us all. But the good news is you've got the ball. And then it just cuts to directed by Cameron oh. Crowe. It was a nice little thing. But, um, well, a very, very nice, Jimmy. Proper Cameron Crowe, warmy hearty, warmy hearty. <laughs> and also the real life of it all, of it not being tied up in a Hollywood bow, which is something that Crowe is very good with. Um, so, well, that's lovely. I, I enjoyed that all so much. I wanted to exclaim and bellow and wallop all the way through that. That was, that was lovely. Uh, very nice. And I loved your cruise energy all the way through it. That was great. And I loved the whole her uh, going to him and all of that and about to gear up for the for the cruise run. All of that is I can see it all so clearly in my mind. And the roller coaster was like, is Lip Nicky gonna do this or that? And going with with sugar and all of that. It, and I like it all. It's it, it all feels meaty and I like it a lot. <laughs> There's definitely more meat to put on the bones. Like I think the emotional beat of the father-son bit with Cruz and Lipnicki needs a little bit in the middle, you know, to be yeah, to be well, finessed. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. You get, you and get by the, the way, you know, yeah, no, absolutely. It's all it's all there. And I like it all very much. One thing I wanted to ask, because you were certainly right about one thing, in a way, um, I don't wanna, but in terms of Dickie Fox and it being played by Cruz. What was your actual reason behind that? Because is the lawyer dead? In I'm having life? my cake and eat it. Uh, well, I, I guess the, the final line of Dickie Fox is quite like, it puts the full stop on Jerry Maguire, if you know what I mean. And then it, it, it's a really awesome little coda wow. in the movie. And I sort of I thought, okay. Um, and uh, I just... Yeah, I, I I don't know. Shabby. I'll be honest. It's having my cake and eating it because mm. I came. I sort of just thought it would be really fun to have Cruz do the Dicky Fox yes. stuff. So, you know, I, no, I just well, I love it. I only ask because, it, yeah, it's like you said. Well, it, it, it was like yeah, like Cruz is Dicky Fox, and I'm like interesting. Um, especially like you are you're saying cake and eating it, but I like that because I can see Cruz doing it, and I can see it all really clearly in my mind. So that's wicked, Jimmy. I liked it. I liked it so very much. Um, so good well, stuff. I'm excited, Chefs. Um, I'm excited about okay, the tangent me. here. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go off on one, so I'll, I'll try and keep it... Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, tight? I don't think so. Not with this fucker. So um, it's 2022. Uh, it's directed and written and everything by Cameron Crowe. It's winning in last place. Throwing Jay Moore. Top billing. Now... I've gone for Jonathan Lipnicki, but I don't know if he if he was like he was a good child star and he was a cute kid, but he doesn't, you know. I'm thinking if the studio pushes me into, I don't know, a Zach Efron or I don't know, let's say a Tom Holland, or a few years ago, I guess, like Andrew Garfield and I don't know, 15 years ago or Toby Maguire. So I guess like 40 years ago and Nicholas Hammond. What I'm saying is any Spider-Man, so I, I, it's not a, a deal breaker if Nicky, if, I, if I'm under fire on that one. I don't know if he's got the chops, but he was a cute kid, but that, if that was his only card. But if, he, if he's amazing and charismatic and can co-carry a movie, then I'll give it to Lip Nicky. But I'm gonna refer to everyone by the character names anyway. So it's Jay Moore um, returning as 
That is Bob Sugar. Uh, Jonathan and Nikki, of course, uh, I'm going to go with. And Bob Odenkirk. And I've got oh. cameos by Bonnie Hunt, Cuba Gooding Jr., Jerry O'Connell, Wendy Zellweger, and Tom Cruise. Uh, so, so make of that what you will. That's and great, there are there are other meaty characters who have meaty scenes, but that's all. That's that's it. That's it. That's it's a real you know. And Cameron Crowe is cool moment. Um, so those characters in those cool scenes <laughs> uh, can be cool, but they can be you know they can be played by cool people. So them as well. But that's everyone who's locked down at the moment, more or less. So the opening, we open cold straight in, and yeah. So we have a desk. And the name place thing on the desk says Jerry Maguire. And Jerry Maguire enters frames and he sits at the desk and he does a pure Dickie Fox, but it is Jerry Maguire. And he sits at the desk and addresses us, the audience, um, and he's pure Cruise being Cruise. And Jerry says, life like Spot is a series of choices and consequences. Life unlike Spot has no timeouts. There's no referee. No score to mean much at the end. There's no final touchdown or goal which lets you know how you've done, if you've won or lost. There's no save or hit or home run to validate the journey. It's a series of wins and losings. We have ultimately nothing to let you know if you've won or lost. There's not even a whistle to call time. But what there is, well, that's what we call the name of the game. And it's cruise being cruise. So I'm trying to put across some of the smugness of crew it's coming Cut across black. <laughs> and yeah good stuff and it's opening credits now i'm telling you spoiler that's it in terms of crews doing a dickie fox it doesn't return at all that's it nice. um so i don't want you waiting <laughs> um now i don't have much in terms of yeah i know right i don't have terms in much of structure i have the overall structure but what i've really got is detail about the characters which has gone into in the script that doesn't exist. So I'll tell you what I've got about the characters and then the, the general flow of the film. Um, and it, well, I have to warn you up front, there's some huge little like little monologues and dialogues and, and things like that. Which, you know, and there's no avoiding, I'm afraid. So um, Ray Boyd. Oh, <laughs> Ray Boyd, um, it's, it's, it's little Johnny P. Um, Ray Boyd is a 32 year old sports journalist. He's married uh, to Abigail and has a three-year-old son, um, Ryan. Now, I'm going to say right now, Abigail and Ryan are featured throughout the film, but I'm probably not going to talk about them very much here, but they, they are featured. They don't just emerge occasionally, but, but they exist, they exist. Anyway, his, uh, Ray is writing a piece about forgotten sports almost heroes those that shone for a moment then disappeared. Uh, where did the almost stars go? What became of their lives? Some are mini celebrities. Some are like commentators or coaches or managers to wildly varying degrees of success um, and mainstream. Some were almost stars at college. Some played half a season then retired injury or just they were almost good but not good enough. Uh, those that quit or were dropped or didn't quite achieve enough to push them over the edge into full-time glory. Um, these never was -is. Uh there, were, there were some who are now working in quote-unquote normal jobs. 
these you know, may have retained a small sports connection from their glory days, their very brief glory days. You know, they might do a Sam Malone and you know, own a sports themed bar or, or a sports equipment store or something. Uh, and some are simply living quote unquote normal lives with no real connection to sports at all anymore. Some are bitter, some don't even remember that life uh, and everything in between. Ray plans on face-to-face -face interviews with these men and women asking where they are and how they got to be there. Uh, and the story will be called The Almosts. Uh, a problem is, uh, as his editor, Bob Odenkirk points out, there's a reason these people are wallowing in obscurity. No one gives a shit about them. Uh, thus, the really juicy stories connected to the largest almost, uh, the, the ones linked with controversy, gossip, or genuine public interest, the ex-players in question there have actually no interest in speaking to this journalist about how they were almost great, uh, and he can't get in touch with them. Maybe because this is a painful topic, or they'll be resentful, or they think they'll be shown as abnormal, blah, blah, blah. Also, this is something of a last ditch effort for Ray. Um, he is uh, disengaged with sports. He's a bit of a burnout already. Um, his passion for sports has faded and his interest in human stories has washed away in cynicism and self unrest and self dislike. Uh, Ray is disenfranchised with the whole lot. He is his own almost. This we learn is all connected with his relationship with his stepfather, who we know, who sparked his deep interest in sports, uh, but also repeatedly abandoned him and his mother all through his childhood. Uh, and so the resentment towards Jerry has bled into his feelings for sports and his life choices in general, including journalism. Uh, he no longer cares about quote unquote people. So Ray played sports as a child and a teenager into college playing baseball, uh, all because of Jerry's encouragement. So there you are, I, I pulled that thread, but never quite being good enough to go pro. But, you know, he was led to believe that he, you know, he had the gift by his stepdad and, you know, in a generally supportive way, Dorothy, his mum was supportive, but he feels kind of let down because he was built up too high and sort of knows it was never really that realistic. So when his baseball career never took off, there started a slow burn of resentment toward Jerry, sport and himself. Uh, Ray does love sport, but he also hates it. This balance has recently began to tip as Ray gets older and he now sees no future for himself anywhere doing anything. Disillusioned on the verge of being deeply bitter. Uh, plus he hasn't, um, he hasn't quote unquote gone home in years with minimal contact with his stepdad or his mother who he doesn't forgive, uh, he doesn't forgive his mum for constantly forgiving Jerry and taking him back all the time. Uh, Ray sees her love and devotion for Jerry as a weakness. Now, spoiler, uh, he sees this as a strength by the end. Uh, he sees that the parents, they love and support each other, warts and all. Uh, she doesn't put up with Jerry. Dorothy doesn't settle, but she accepts the good with the bad and how like life, and you know, no one's settled. Um, but here, Ray is like, you know, he says, I used to think of Jerry as being like some general in the army or some soldier at least. And every so often he'd be called away for weeks or months or else he wouldn't be fully present even when he was there. His focus was split and athletes had the largest slice of that particular pie. 
But even then I thought this, this is his job, this is important. But uh, as his own baseball dreams didn't pan out, so grew the resentment to the others who did make it, who Jerry was interested in, seemingly not just more than him, but more than his mother as well. So he went into journalism, but even then it was always sports. And now he's 32 and his baseball career would be long gone by now anyway, which leads to the resentment and bitterness uh, having grown even more. Uh, what is he even doing here? What is his life? The fragments and shadows of dreams that were never really even his, perhaps. Who is he? So he's having a big old crisis, which isn't very fair for his wife and child. So Ray wants to write this story, really focusing on the almost, the losers, the forgotten or the never remembered, because ultimately he wants to hold a self-hate mirror up and write about how pathetic these people are, meaning him. Um, so now, um, whilst that's his whole setup, he's coming across as very, very negative, but I think, you know, Cameron's gonna inject some warmth and humanity in there. I'm only just focusing yeah. on the main plot negativity. Now, Bob Sugar has it all. Wealth, success, and as he keeps telling people when they comment on his job, his company, his life, he always says, I am the architect of my own existence. And uh, the fans of the trailer, which came free with Empire, will, will know that's come, that comes back. So he also reflects at one point uh, in his life, um, he acts, at some point he, he makes a note that uh, it's as if his whole life he's been eating delicious, very expensive junk food. Every meal was uh, a beautiful feast devoid of nutrition. So now he's in his early 50s. Um, his life is represented by his home and home life. Um, as his work is growing away from him. Um, it's a young man's game. So his house is like, we keep going back to this, but it's white, it's sparse, it's cold, it's detached. Um, that's not a house joke. Uh, Bob's life is devoid of purpose. His career has had its ups and downs and it never reached Jerry Maguire heights of you know, bonding or anything, but he's done well generally. And he has basically succeeded in all the ways he ever really wanted to. You know, he could always have done better and he could always have made more. He lost clients and he tried to get and he lost contracts and deals and bonuses. But for every setback or perceived failure, he's had parallel successes. Um, so now he's a partner in his own firm uh, and discovers though that his junior partners are doing a him and making a move to quote unquote, help him toward retirement. It's not quite so hostile as you're fired. He is a partner, a senior partner, but he is gently being shown the door, you know, like this is a young man's game. A young athlete isn't going to respect someone's granddad, that sort of thing. So he's not being fired, but he is quietly being repositioned away from the power plays and the mega deals. Uh, and so now he doesn't have that in his life and his, with his career possibly shifting with the recruitment of new talent being left to young blood. Bob is finding it's time to reflect, take a breath, take stock, and he is confronted with a hollow and empty truth. Who is he? Is he literally no one, nothing? Has he not created his own self? Uh, a thing about Bob, which is established early, is that he has a lovely empty life. Uh, his house is nice and modern and white and looks cool. He's a nice car. Oh, and he's married. He has a beautiful wife who is regal and intelligent and professionally successful. And she likes her life and she likes Bob. There's no mutual love between them and there never was. 
they met and were attracted to each other and they had a matching social and professional status. And so simply there was no reason for them not to get together. And now it's six or seven years later and their lives together are timeshare. Uh, they are polite and considerate of each other. He doesn't uh, catch her cheating or anything or vice versa. They just exist together. This doesn't seem to bother her because this was always the setup. But Bob is starting to see his life as what it is. Um, it is you know, so Bob Sugar um, meets Ray Boyd randomly at a sporting junket that neither wants to be at. Um, this is probably about 20 minutes into the film and everything's been set up. Uh, they start talking at the bar, uh, they don't know who each other are, and they hit it off and proceed to drink and chat for some hours. Uh, they don't, um, what starts as an informal chat turns into a meeting of minds and spirits, somewhat kindred. Um, so with alcohol and, and just sort of chilling out, they chat their own disenchantment with sports, the fact that neither are where they want to be in their personal lives, each other realizing through the conversation that there are their lives are to them devoid of meaning and they have this in common and so they bond over more whiskey they talk about getting uh, back out there being proactive not just waiting for the next chapter or page or opportunity or whatever to fall into their laps they hit it off so well and they get excited about the idea of putting life back into their own hands um, this has obviously been a little while at this point in this this perception or whatever um, so during um, of this quasi-spiritual awakening, um, one of the guests of honours of this event sees them from across the room and recognises them, goes over to say hi. It's Rod Tidwell, ex-player, still, uh, still a superstar. He's been in films, you know, he's done like the Dennis Rodman or Michael George. He's been in films and he's been in TV and he does, you know, he commentates and he does all sorts besides, you know, he's a huge ex-football player um, with all of that. Bob sees um, Rod approaching uh, and he sees the recognition in his eyes as he approaches and Bob Sugar is like, oh no, and he groans and he doesn't want to talk to this man who then ignores him completely and addresses Ray instead. And of course they go way back. I mean, he was a huge part of Ray's childhood and he knew the kid, he had a huge part of his formative years. So he's like, hey man, how's it going? It's been a hot minute. And, he, and but Ray's like, oh yeah, hi. Mm. Uh, and this is where we learn of perhaps we learn of his rocky relationship with Jerry, that he hasn't been in contact for a very long time. And that's when the penny drops for Bob. Um, and Bob realizes who the other in this relationship to themselves is, specifically the Jerry of it all comes to the fore. Um, neither Bob nor Ray want to talk about Jerry uh, and it stops the evening abruptly. It's like they realise they have had the same ex-girlfriend. Uh, so they leave on a slightly awkward note and Tidwell's just like, keep it real, man, keep it real. And he goes off to apparently be Neil's father from Curve. So, so that's all right. Um, so that, that's Tidwell. That's his out. That's his scene. Nice. Maybe he pops up on TV at some point. There could be a running joke that is like, you know, a trailer for one of these terrible films he's in, or like he's just accommodating on a TV. I love that point. idea. I want those yeah. trailers. <laughs> really, really bad. Um, remember when Shaq was in Steel? Anyway, 
um, neither Bob nor Ray, oh, um, yeah, it's like they realize they have the same ex-girlfriend. So they leave on a sour and awkward note, but each can't stop thinking of their barside convo. Now this chat is the equivalent of the memo from the first film. It's the catalyst that starts everything. Ray sees Bob as a way into his story. He can use Bob's contacts to open all the doors that are closed to him in getting those elusive interviews. Bob sees Ray as a way to give his life a new purpose after his recent existential crisis. If he can meet and talk to these quote unquote almost wases, then maybe in their decisions, which he sees as being the wrong ones, he can see the pattern in his own as well as self-validation. How it looks at the end of the paths not taken. So resolute and needing change, the pair hit the road and they travel all over the country they're saying one rule, we don't talk about him. And so we don't talk about Jerry. Because um, obviously, I mean, Jerry is done well. We can, it's all hinted at. Jerry is a, is a presence by his absence in this film. He's done well. Maybe he's not like ridiculous, but he's done very, very well. And Bob is in his shadow. It's, it's, yeah, it's more than insinuated. Um, so they travel all over the country, meeting and interviewing the sports stars who never were, the almosts, and they all meet, um, and you know, them all, and they all vary wildly. And these are these meaty chances for some good roles and good characters. Uh, some are happy, some are bitter, um, some are families, some work in Home Depot, some are riding their past glories, um, some are trying to, some are washouts, some lives are enviable, Others are not, some are rich, some are poor, some are happy, some are sad and not always connected to one or the other. Uh, Bob and Ray learn about themselves the more of the almosts they meet. Uh, so they fly and drive across the states. Uh, on the trip, Bob slowly comes to terms that ultimately his life is shitty and maybe he created this. One scene parked out in the middle of the desert uh, at night, uh, they, they, they're drunk, uh, maybe they take shrooms, they set fire to a cactus, the scene from the trailer, and Bob shouts out into the night sky, I'm the architect of my own existence. Uh, Bob, Sugar's ultimate, yeah, <laughs> Bob Sugar's ultimate self-revelation plays out in one intense scene when he opens up to Ray, uh, possibly around a campfire. Now, there's a, I've really got off on one here, but I'm going to go through it as fast as I can and hopefully not stumble. And this is a monologue from Bob Sugar around a campfire, maybe before the mushrooms kick in. I remember when I was a kid, nine or 10, we, my friends and school friends, we were living for summer vacation. I mean, I was counting the weeks, the days, the hours before six weeks of summer and freedom and fun. And this year I had one goal, one desire I wanted from the summer break more than anything else in the world. I wanted to beat Space Invaders. All summer, I played and I played and I played that goddamn game. Got so I would see the shitty graphics when I closed my eyes each night in bed. I played that game all day long, all through the summer when my friends were out on their bikes or whatever. I played and I played and you know what? I had a blast and I won. You know, I beat the game and I played and I played and I couldn't wait to get down there every day and play some more. I wanted top score, then mega top score, then gold star top score and I worked and I played and I won I beat that sucker and on the last day of vacation when I knew I was going back to school the next day I never felt so hollow in my goddamn life 
I'd done what I'd set out to do. I'd won, but it didn't mean a thing. Tomorrow I'd see all my friends and classmates and they'd all tell stories of all the things they'd done. The bike riding, going camping, breaking a leg or crashing and burning with some girl. And all I had was my top score. And I think recently I've been seeing my life, my career, my marriage, my money, my car, my apparent, my apartment, my house and experiences as the top score. And maybe while getting that score, I missed out. You know, my life has been space invaders and I never, never left my room. Um, that's his Oscar clip. Um, by the way, the film is I'm down never... on Jay getting an Oscar and not Cruz for the original. Amazing. Nicky's with support actor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of them's going to win, one of them's not. I don't know which. Um, the film, I want to say, is never... The message is never career bad, family good, a la a good year, family man. Um, on the trip, we see bad families, we see good families, good loners and bad, you know, there's not black and white on any of the subjects here. Also, um, Bob here represents the no family, great career side, you know, um, whereas Ray represents the family. He has a wife and a little child, but is estranged from his own mother and cynical about fatherhood because of his relationship with Jerry. So good and bad scenarios are shown from both family and career perspective, with no easy or definitive answer or solution at the end. Pure crow. I have another extended scene as Bob and Ray drive through the middle of nowhere together. Um, Bob says in the passenger seat and Ray's driving, Bob Sugar says, my stairs don't have railings. It looks great, but it's not safe. You know how many times I've almost fallen into my aquarium? Now you tell me, writer, that's some solid symbolism, right? And uh, Ray, whilst he's driving, he's like, what? And Bob's like, my house has no railings. My stairs have no, what, what, what are they? Bannisters, right, my stairs have no banisters. And, the, and Ray says, and the aquarium represents what, fish? And Bob's like, my aquarium, no, yes, yes, fuck, I don't know. Yes, the aquarium represents danger. And Ray's like, and what do the fish represent? Bob's, forget the fish, okay? And Ray's like, as in, there's always a bigger one. And Bob's like, what? No, although, yeah, that's not bad. Sure, use that. And Ray's like, use that. You want me to write about how your big, beautiful, empty house is a representation of your life and you want me to lean in on the Bannister's fish analogy too? And Bob's like, hey, that was your analogy. And Ray's, how about we forget the whole house analogy? Tell me about your wife. My wife, she, she's great. She, she, she's better than great. Uh, I treasure her. I really do. She's gorgeous. So beautiful, you know, she's taller than me. And Ray, beautiful treasured, not loved, mind you, but treasured and tall. So your wife is beautiful and large and empty like your house. And Bob's like, you mean like my life, right? And he's like, so your life is like your house and your wife. Just forget it, all right, forget everything. And he's like, fine, there's a long pause and he drives and then he says, I couldn't help notice you have a very nice car. And he's like, shut up, shut up. Like, yeah, you're a hell of a car. Yeah, well, I mean, they are a beautiful car, shiny, empty, looks good, but does it define you? Just forget about the uh, analogies, okay? Okay, good. And there's a long silence and Bob's like, it's a Pagani, the car, it's a Pagani. And then they drive on. Uh, so the journey goes on, uh, but there is a tiny reveal. Now, 
you would think by all of this that, that this is really the film, but it does a little left turn, like when Clues and Zelda get married and then they break up. So it's like, you, you think this might, the whole road trip might be the whole film. Uh, but Ray tells his editor, this is the real story. Um, Ray's story is actually center, the center of the story is Bob himself, the man who has everything, nothing, and all that's in between. That's gonna be the title, the ultimate almost man. Uh, this revelation where the truth comes out and Bob finds out, it happens about halfway through the film um, and causes Bob to drive away. And Bob's like, I'm an almost, fuck you. I'm a most, all right? I'm an all most, meaning I have it all. I have the most, you understand? And Ray's like, yeah, yeah, very clever. Clever use of appropriating words, spontaneous too. And Bob's like, fuck you. Uh, that might be the only fuck in the film, but I'm gonna use it there. Uh, so like Maguire, um, yeah, they, they're the split in between where the film isn't uh, buddy buddy bonding all the way through film just like the original isn't a will they, won't they necessarily for the two romantic leads. It's not just the will they, won't they film. Uh, Bob becoming a better person or Ray rediscovering a love of sports or journalism or even his family may or may not even happen, but it doesn't happen at pivotal moments in the film's narrative. And if it does, any of it happen, it's clearly established that this two main you know it's all fleeting like you said earlier so there's a scene after the reveal about the article uh being about bob when bob goes home and he's feeling vulnerable back to his nice house and he's thus really happy he lights up when he sees his wife and she's you know getting ready to go out to meet some friends and he opens up a bit to her but her utter lack of connection you know instead of a sort of you know, like a cut she sort of gives it a bemused bob what's got into you uh, it's a massive slap in his face. Uh, so then she goes out with her friends um, and around here, but not the wife, uh, not with the wife, but Bob gives a nice speech to someone saying, you know, I did what I was supposed to do. I worked, I won, I earned, I excelled in my career. Not every day, but damn it, I did it right. And now after 25 years of winning, of doing it right, I now found out I was one of the losers all along. How is that possible? That was going to be my trailer quote. So that's why I included it here, because um, that was going to be my trailer quote. But I, then I used the other one. So now it, they were interact three. Uh, Bob hands in the story to the editor, calling the finished article the agent's secret, and talks about how having a picture of the world's best burger will still let you starve. Bob, reading but paraphrasing the article, I see it in a diner, saying, a hollow life brings an empty death. The Bob Sugar story, fantastic. So, spoiler, Bob Sugar's personal growth is ultimately minimal. He looks in the mirror, but doesn't really end the film any richer, better, or a more evolved person. He's going to continue exactly as he's been going. At some point, he establishes that his wife will leave him before too long. Not between, the, the scene isn't between them. He says it to a barman or someone. Maybe he reconnects with McNicky at this point and says it to Ray. But it's like, you know, simply because why wouldn't she? She'll get with someone else the way someone else might move house. It's just going to happen sooner or later. Bob's path is pretty set. He'll live a long, wealthy, somewhat successful, hollow life. He will surround himself with people until they move house as well. And the next group will move in and so on and so on without any real lasting connections. 
uh, but at least you'll have a nice house. At the end of the film, Bob isn't a better or more healthy person. In fact, he seems not to have learned a thing. He puts his earlier wobbles down to a midlife crisis, although we know he doesn't fully believe that. He goes back to work and nothing has really changed, but we know he has the capacity and it's hinted at. So for Bob, the film ends without him being friends with Ray. I don't want them to sort of, maybe there's like an uneven and sort of like a little bit, a scene in a bar or something, but they don't end being like, oh, you, you can be my wingman or anything like that. Um, then maybe they'll meet again, maybe they won't. So for Bob, the film ends with Bob going back to his home, uh, back to his nice house, back to his work, ready to beat his top score. Ray makes his own discoveries. He blames Jerry for a lot, but what he now sees is that just like Jerry, in regards to his own family, it's, it, it, he's following the same route. Uh, cats in the cradle, man, he is all but, but paying it backwards. He is always finding quote unquote missions to be called away on like a good soldier. He set up this whole story as an elaborate road trip. Now, yes, partially to bond with Bob to get like the human story out of it, but ultimately it's all an excuse to be away from his family. History repeating. So seeing Bob's own journey and his life view, as well as all those they meet along the way, and of course the material success and life nutrition, you know, often very different things. But now Ray sees his own failings through the eyes of everyone he meets. Uh, the later uh, part of the film, well, really the second part, of the half of the film, um, once the road trip is over, um, you know, we see Bob staying in like his arrested development, but it also shows Ray learning and growing. Um, he writes the story, which Odenkirk actually laps up it's clearly very good and very well written. Lip Nicky's got his groove back. But more than that, we really lean in on Ray reconnecting with his wife and child. His wife, by the way, you know, I mean, look, she doesn't just forgive him for the past transgressions, but Ray, you know, there's lots of good meaty Cameron Crowe stuff. Ray works very hard trying to prove that he wants to be accepted and welcomed back into the family. And we have him making all the efforts and doing all those things and he gives some nice crow speeches of his own, resulting in him and his wife, Abigail. Uh, you know, they open the door together for the next chapter of their lives. Uh, and by the way, I was also thinking at the beginning, it could turn out that she's pregnant with the second, and she tells him, and that's what breaks him. And that's what essentially pushes him over the edge, and he's like, what am I becoming? And he, that's what makes him want to run away, because it's all too much. Um, so now it all comes full circle and Ray goes home. Uh, so right at the end, Ray drives with his wife, you know, he takes Abigail, who I thought could be, oh, what's her face? If she's not a bit too old, I don't see why. Um, I want to say Ferguson, but I'm worried that I'm going to say the wrong Ferguson. Um, the one who's in Mission Impossible, not the one who's married to Andrew. Uh, her. Um, to Rebecca, I think. Rebecca Ferguson, uh, maybe she can play Abigail. That's who I see in my mind anyway. She's a bit older, but there's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with that? Um, so she, and only about, yeah, not that much older than Nick Nicky or 32. So, um, so right at the end, yeah, Abigail and, and Ray and the three-year-old son, Ryan, and by this time she's showing quite heavily as well, uh, to a nice looking suburban neighborhood 
They pull up outside a nice little house, and as they get out, they're all greeted by Ray's mother, Dorothy. So, you know, Zellweg is back, back, back. Um, there's a moment of awkwardness between Dorothy and Ray. And then, you know, she says something like, I preferred you with glasses, and they hug. Uh, after a long moment, still in the hug, Ray opens his eyes, and over his mother's shoulder, he sees Jerry watching, you know, with a small cruise smile, waiting, hanging back, slightly nervous. It's the first time Jerry and Ray have seen each other in 10 years. They approach the other, they don't hug, but they shake hands. At first, it's a bit stiff, but then they loosen and it becomes warm. And you know Cruz gives him like the Cruz clap on the shoulder. So the film ends with Ray and Jerry and their collective family um, heading into the uh, home all together. And the final shot has the group in a massive long shot showing the house, the street, the cars, the city beyond. We see the tiny shapes of our heroes moving toward and then into the house. And there's dialogue playing all over it. The dialogue goes, uh, Jerry says to Ray, you still throw? And Dorothy's like, please, I thought we said no sports. And Abigail says, I can take a crack at throwing anything if I know there's someone waiting to do the hitting. And Ray's like, Abs, you should write that down. And Jerry's like, oh, we got ourselves a picture here. And baby Ryan says, Daddy, what's a picture? And Ray says, it's whatever's inside the frame, buddy. And Dorothy says, oh my God, Ray, was that as deep as it sounded? And Jerry says, nothing's as deep as it sounds. To which Ray replies, like that exact sentence, nothing's as deep as it sounds. It sounds like it could be deep, but upon closer inspection, it's not too deep at all. And there's light chuckles from the group. And Ryan then says, am I deep, daddy? And Ray says, deep, you're practically the Dalai Lama. And Ryan says, Mommy, can I be the Delhi Lama? And everyone laughs as they enter the house and the door closes. And Abigail says, honey, you can be whatever you want. And there's your eye of the duck. There's your credits. And, and that's it. Oh, and um, there's a long tagline. Uh, and it's only one. And I've just said a long tagline. And it is a quote from Dickie Fox. Uh, but it's kind of also... The idea is Cruz at the beginning, when he did his own Dickie Fox, is paraphrasing this advice that Dickie Fox gave, which is used as the tagline, which is, life is a series of choices and consequences with no touchdown, no penalty, no last minute win on points. It's mistakes, it's regrets, it's pain. It's taking one step after another, living until you don't, losing in first place, Dickie Fox. Nice. So there you go. So that, that's my that's my nice that's my sequel. Chef yes. is very like nice. Said, what a lovely journey for 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 both Bob and Ray of self discovery and happiness. So like, yeah, I wonder when you first threw out like, do you remember there was an entourage where Ari Gold found himself in the desert as well? I don't know if you remember that. But it's not I where don't. you went, but I was wondering whether you were going to go down that kind of line of right. chaos. But that's really, mate, it was really lovely. Lovely. I'm very interested how, like, when did you decide you were going to go that way and keep Cruz out of it? Like, do you know what I mean? Which is incredibly yeah. disciplined. Like, um, I, I think it was just a real, I don't know. I mean, I knew I had the, like the option of doing the pure sequel and I don't remember the, the moment, but 
it did pop in there. I think it was when I was reading the Wikipedia to refresh myself. And I like Jay Moore anyway. I just, I always do. He's not had the massive, most massive career, but I, I always like him. And he plays a really na good, nasty person in that film. So um, I don't know. It, it, it just was like, yeah, it's those two. And I'd said in, when you when you pitched this originally, I kind of joked, oh, it's the revenge of Lip Nicky. And I wasn't planning to it to be a, a, a Lip Nicky joint. But um, yeah, just the idea of them together. And I think- I love it. I don't think I, I think I wanted to do something. I think I was aware that I didn't want to do the standard what happens to Pooh's next plot. So I think my, so that part of me was looking for something, I guess, and that just jumped out. So there it's you perfect go. that he'd have been an absent dad like that. It's perfect. It's per all of it's perfect, Sheppy. I love it. It's the best road trip movie I've watched since your Mrs. Doubtfire 2. And I'm forgetting what it was called. <laughs> Family Doubtfire, that was it. Yeah, I was, right. I was just thinking, what did you call it? Yeah, Family Doubtfire, like, yeah. that amazing. <laughs> If in doubt, stick him in a car, push him across. <laughs> That's what I'm but talking yeah, about. Yeah, really, mate, that was really lovely. Really lovely, man. Thank you thank for you. Uh, jumping in on the Maguire well, action. And, and thank you for, for slinging it my way. I was, that was very enjoyable. And as always, <laughs> yeah, when you were in this case, when you pitched it, I was like, oh, my God, Joe Maguire. Uh, but it, there you go. You see, I would never have thought of that. And it went in an interesting direction. So I, I and I loved yours. It speaks volumes to the characters Crow created, they're very rich in Jerry Maguire. I would say there's at least six spin-offs there if you wanted them, you know. Even Jerry's, uh, the lady he's engaged to at the beginning, whose name is eluding me now, but Kelly Preston, you know, like brilliant, yes. like energy with the two of them. And her own spin-off show would be interesting yeah. and funny, you know, like she's probably a real ball breaker in real life, the character. Yeah, well, there really you go, fun. she beats the shit out of him. So <laughs> I'm on board. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's um, a proper um, yeah. one too, with a knee to the nuts, isn't it? It's amazing. There you go. I love it when the cruise gets like you, you sees pain and being knee to the nuts, even when you act it uh, authentically, it's always funny. So the crew's face, not gurning or mugging, but when he gets knee to the nuts, you know it's a it's a really good one. So yeah, okay, yeah. It's so really yeah, no. To think about Jerry Maguire objectively, and that because it's sort of so. It's just embedded, isn't it? It's, it's a collection of scenes that when you first watch them, it's very hard not to get swept up in it, to be fair. Well, again, yeah. with me, it's so funny, for whatever reason, I agree with everything you're saying, but in terms of detachment, it was actually very easy because for whatever reason, I never really retain much of Jerry Maguire. And I don't know why, because I am engaged and I do like it. Yeah. I don't think it's the sport angle because I fucking love Wildcats. And I like, um, in all seriousness, um, any given Sunday. So, but I do really like Jerry Maguire. Um, I do. So, so can I ask you a question good. there, Sheppy? Because Vanilla Sky was crow as well, wasn't it? As, uh, so where does that sit against Maguire for you as the Cruise Crow collaboration? Because I, right. I, that's interesting, because I think you might pip it with Vanilla Sky because yeah. of the swing it takes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it is. Uh, and it's, it's tricky. I've seen the original, I want to say, um, for Vanilla Sky, but I did see Vanilla Sky first. So all the little, the swing and the twists and turns um, was effective and good. And I remember you saw it first, we didn't see it together. And you said to me, uh, Sheppy, you said, Sheppy, it's either a two star or a four star, and I don't know which. 
And I thought, oh, that is so fascinating. We both acknowledge that's fascinating. They're like, oh, that, that's interesting. That's so much more interesting than a strong three. Um, yeah. So I saw it and for me, it was definitely a four. And I've seen it a bunch, but not loads, which doesn't make sense. I've seen it a million times, twice. Um, over time, we're learning the measurements, Sheppy. Bunch of loads. There's a distinction. I, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, you know what? No, though, I've probably seen it three times. Um, and but I saw it last around the same time as you know, Joe McGuire. Honestly, I think we did like a cruise season, uh, and it was like about three years ago, or two years ago. Anyway, I I do like Vanilla Sky. I like the swing. I like all of it. Um, it's I like. Well, the only thing that upsets me is I, and it, as perfect as Kurt Russell is as basically Gregory Peck, um, but yeah, but with all of that in mind, it was offered to Harrison Ford, and I wish that that would have been given Ooh, to yeah. Harrison Ford, but he, he turned it down because he made a bunch of weird decisions in the early 2000s, damaged his career. You can quote me on that. So, Vanilla Sky, I like, Jimmy. Are you, I'm assuming you're Team Maguire. I'm Team Maguire of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And even just on the rewatch, despite the flaws in Maguire, I, yeah. there's so I much to love. And there's some Do of the you... lines are so surprisingly awesome as well. They just come from their field and you're like, yeah, that's just the perfect thing to say there. And it's so cool. Nice. It's so fun. I respect that. Well, about Vanilla Sky, do you like it? Is yeah, it I do, man. I really do. Yeah, I think no. I need to rewatch it. I've only seen it the once, and I think right. it would be nice to rewatch it, knowing where it's going. I think I'll I'll enjoy it more for sure because it's a very yeah, nice. very bonkers ending that you've yeah. really got to be. It's a very right. bonkers film. It's just you don't know it's bonkers until you've been told what you're watching is bonkers and and all this. Um, and, yeah. then, and then at the very end, go like ah. So yes, with all that in mind, it's definitely worth. It. Yeah. But it's so, yeah, it's not a perfect film, but it's for swing, like you say, it's for swing. So I think we've got a deeper chat on Cruise to have, Shep, is we'll put a pin in Mr. Cruise for a moment and yeah. like so I want to mm. know what the next pitch is gonna be. Now, Jimmy, look, <laughs> you may have been through some some tough times, some exciting times, but I think we can all agree that the best and most exciting time is yet to come. Now, I think I might have mentioned to you. Um, when you first pitched the idea to this, of this very podcast to me of sequels, I instantly, well, I don't know about how instantly, but there were three films of possibilities that popped in my mind. Um, one of them was a prequel to Star Wars, episode four. Uh, one of them, I'm assuming, was James Bond of some kind, and it just obviously would be Majesties. And this one, and I held fire, and I held fire, and I bloody held fire. And I did it, and my reasons are my own, but I'll tell you this, well, I'll, I'll fucking share them, I don't care. But um, I'm gonna give it to you now, but when you think about it, Jimmy, it's the most sequelable film of all time because of the last, even more of an Italian job, which works as a cliffhanger, and it could just work as a cliffhanger, the last two seconds of this film not only invite, let's just say heavily insinuate, I mean, they tell you, and then it never happened. Do you know? No, you're I gonna think now. Go I'm on. gonna go, Jimmy, for a sequel to Flash Gordon. Go for the neck. 
at the end of Flash Gordon, Jimmy, is uh, the words, the end, come up, and then a question mark at the end of it. And of course, so, the ring gets the ring and everything at the end, and there's a ha ha hold. Uh, so we're yeah, going Flash Friday. Gordon too, Jimmy. Uh, have at it, old son. I am going to rewatch. I would like to rewatch. I'm going to do that as Definitely part of the homework. Yeah. I'm very interested yeah. in your take. I, I remember being terrified when Peter Duncan from Blue Peter puts his hand in the thing and then gets bitten. We all were, Jimmy. Sleep. I might have to look away at that point, but otherwise I will rewatch. Yeah. My God. It's Boy. worse when you don't look. <laughs> many times. Many, many times. So wonderful, Jimmy. Uh, wonderful stuff. Thank you again for all of that. Um, at this point, I guess we just need to sign out. We need to sign out, but I don't think, I, I don't even think we need to say anything, Sheppy. I think we can leave it to the late, great Dickie Fox. Hey, I don't have all the answers. In life, to be honest, I've failed as much as I've succeeded. But I love my wife. I love my life. And I wish you my kind of success. If I pass this way again, you can rest assured.